Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Player to Prospect podcast. This episode features a conversation with Brandon Harmon. He is the associate head coach and pitching coach at Gonzaga University. Some of the topics we'll be covering today, since he's the pitching coach, it will be a lot about pitching, recruiting as well, um, the day-to-day life of being at Gonzaga, um, and a little bit of personal history too. You know, I like to dive into the, the personal side of things as well. So without further ado, let's get to the episode with Brandon Harmon. Yeah. Okay. You know what? I should backtrack though, because I know August 1st was pretty hectic for a lot of guys. And uh, we were going to get to that, like in like the recruiting portion, but I do kind of want to ask just about how this past like August 1st was, because this was the first one, right? Where with the new rule, it's like, okay, the floodgates are kind of opening, right? Yep. Yeah. And I... I feel like those floodgates are still going because I, I like the concept of, of August 1st. It's hopefully should put everybody on a level playing field. I think that's at least the intention of being able to communicate, which whether that's happening, I, I don't know, that's for someone else to figure out. But mm-hmm. um, I think there was such a push to try to get to so many kids that you'd seen that I think some of that follow-up conversations still are, you're still trying to reel from some of those and, you know, figure out level of interest with from mm-hmm. our end, from their end. And so um, I think the one thing that was pretty consensus uh, up here in the Northwest, there was a big event going on and first day of it was that August 1st. And I think almost every coach that was there made a request to, you know, the the guys in charge of that event, like, can we put this any day, but August 1st, like we all kind of like, we don't need to be out of field right now. If we could all just be hunkered down in our office and be organized, be able to answer phone calls, but without trying to evaluate, you know, other guys, that would be, I think that's a big hole. I, next year, I 100% don't care what's going on. I'm going to be in my office or a hotel room and dedicate the whole day to just talking on the phone and trying to, you know, put all my all my energy towards that. So, well, and this year makes it a, a little interesting compared to what the other years are going to be like because this was the first year where you were probably still talking to kids before that or players, I should say, you know, potential future players before that rule was enacted and then it was like okay um we got to stop but I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you in a few months you know on august yeah. 1st and that's a little different from when what it'll be like in the future where it's like mm, there's not gonna be a whole lot of uh dialogue beforehand to say like okay yeah you just gotta wait it out for a little bit you yeah. know you might be telling 14 year olds like yeah you got to wait a couple of years like we're we're interested but like we got to you got to wait a couple of years they kind of just hear it through the grapevine as opposed to hearing it directly from you so have you thought about how you're going to like attack that in terms of like what the the future um sort of approach will be like with with those younger players given yeah I, I think that's still like a moving target i mean right now that mm-hmm. trying to just live within the ncaa rules there of just you know there's not supposed to be any communication whether through a third party or not and i think obviously there's there's no way that they can corral that there's obviously communication from some places where they are letting you know hey x school thinks you're pretty good um but 100 this year you know there was kids that we were talking to before i don't remember what the date was whatever it was in april say hey this is the the cutoff can't talk anymore and Mm -hmm. you know there was a handful that we were having communications with that in the old format you know maybe we're moving faster than you had a whole summer to watch them and you're like in August 1st and you're like actually we're going to keep pumping the brakes a little bit here we're not ready to go and then obviously on the flip side there was guys it's like yeah we were on the right track here let's this is what we have and hmm. let's get you on campus here after you know September 1st is the new 
um, target date to get guys on campus. And so that dynamic was a little bit weird because I have two or three guys that I want to keep talking to and keep having communications, but we're not ready to move, move on yet. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. That's really mm -hmm. hard for 16 year olds, obviously to wrap their head around. They want now they want more social. They want that social media post. They want, they just, <laughs> they want that, that feeling of, of justifying all the showcases they've done, but it's as you're well aware. And I think every player in college is well aware. And this is a, this is a journey that doesn't stop with your commitment. It doesn't, doesn't end with your commitment. It's, it's a moving target and it's, who knows where your career is going to take you. And so just to keep going and, you know, the recruiting process is just a little just a, not even the starting point, really. I mean, it's once you get on campus, it's this is where I'm going to take my college career and hopefully into a pro career. So you make an interesting point about um, how your career doesn't really stop once you commit. I, I have personal experience with that, like where I kind of like let, let my foot off the gas a little bit where I'm like, OK, yeah, like I'm committing. All right, I'm good. I can just wait till college and then I'm good. But, you, you know, you and I both know that's just not the case. Um, and we'll get to that in a little bit. I do want to bring up uh, two kind of other components to this, which you sort of mentioned, like showcases and like camps. Those You can talk to those players, though, even if they're not um, like junior year, August 1 or whatever it is, at those showcases or camps, right? Like your personal camp, right? You're allowed to talk to them? Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can. And I think the, the verbiage is you just got to interact like in a camp and instruction setting. You're supposed to yeah yeah dodge the uh you know hey on august 1st we're gonna call you and which like i said i i'm not out here to play police on that i think to think that those kind of conversations aren't happening it would be naive and i'd be naive of yeah you know institutions but yeah we're doing everything we can to follow the rules i mean we went as far here with our prospect camps to really break them up you know and instead of just having a straight high school you know 24 to 27 you know 2024 20, grads to 2027s 20, to we got one coming up, it's 2024s and 2025s. So the mm. line of communication is 100% open. And those ones we can, you know, whereas if you have some 26s in there, now you have a blended what you can talk about and can't talk about. So just trying to structure and, and be organized on that end is, is a you know, big thing that we're trying to do. And we want to stay, you know, we want to stay compliant, but we also want to stay on the forefront and, and be able to be in the ball game with these kids when, you know, when the time's right. So yeah. And, you know, let's really dive into like that recruiting kind of piece now, because when you say staying like in the ball ball game, like with the kids, are there certain things you've realized like players are asking now that maybe they weren't asking before? Like, has there been a change in that in terms of the curiosities of players uh, that they have when you're talking to them? I mean, I think I think it's pretty industry wide, but we, I mean, just in the last year, the money is always important, right? Money is money. Like everybody. Yeah. And I'm not here to spend somebody else's money. And, but the expectation of, you know, where that money's coming from and do you have it? Do you not have it? And well, we have 11.7 scholarships and we have, you know, tuition. Gonzaga is very proud of their tuition. I'll say that much um, of, of, yeah. of how expensive it is. And um, but I feel like that's, that's come up even more, you know, obviously the role of, of NIL and who hasn't, who doesn't have it. Um, I still think at the end of the day, and the one thing we're really trying to double down with at Gonzaga is just kind of stay true to what's been successful for us. And that's finding, you know, kids that fit that demographic, that education is really important to them. Playing at a program that develops you is really important to you. And, you know, and try to just, I don't know if promise is the right word, but like, hey, this is what we have to offer. Like, yeah. we can't talk about, you know, let's, the SEC is a different animal. Like, 
what what they're selling yeah. down there is 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 different than what we have to sell and i don't think putting up a smoke screen that we're we're selling that is is the right move for us and we we want to just stay true to what we can what we have have to offer these young young men and um and go from there so. yeah i do i guess the kind of financial piece of it is even though it's like not the most important thing when it comes to like deciding on a school it can take away that like potential opportunity for a player if they're like look i mean i just can't afford like i don't want to take out a massive loan or whatever it is like maybe it's just like okay well can't do anything about that right so it's kind of like the first step 100 i I think our whole goal is recruiters whether i'm at gonzaga or i'm at a you know state school or somewhere back east that you want to try to hopefully get to a spot with your scholarship allotment that we can maybe take the finances out of it to some degree to make it a zero for everybody. That's not mm. realistic, right? You're chopping up, you're chopping up money. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I'm well aware of when we get to a certain point, if you're looking for a recruited walk-on who um, is going to be expected to pay whatever that amount is, right? They're just going to have academic money to, to lean on. I, you know, we, we know what our demographic is there. I can't go into a really blue collar area for most, most situations and expect them to be able to handle 45 to $50,000 a year or whatever that, that amount of money is. And, yeah. um, and so we know some pockets that can handle that. And obviously for us, the academic piece is, is really huge because we do have a pretty good academic merit at Gonzaga. So mm. that's the first box we can check. And, you know, that's where, where we can hopefully extend our money to be able to compete with some state schools where that, that financial burden isn't on the same level. So. Does that put a priority on high academic guys because they can probably earn some money through the school and then that can help you guys with your limited 11.7? Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's what, if, if they can get money from a, a different source than our 11.7, that obviously cuts into that that balance. And, you know, that's not to say we have some guys that don't earn a dollar from academic merit. And so mm-hmm. on that end, we better think they're pretty darn good um, and think yeah. they have a chance to be in the center of our program because we're going to invest heavily in them and we've had success doing that. And, um, but I think, you know, when I'm looking at that recruiting roster and you show up to an event, GPA maybe isn't the very first thing I look at, but once Mm -hmm. I evaluate a player, sure. Sure. Nice. If I can see that thing, you know, in the high threes, as opposed to the high twos. So. Yeah. So let's talk about like when you're actually at events. I mean, things you're looking for, how is your, like approach or like style to like watching players and trying to get a good feel for them, like change since you've, you know, started as a coach, because, you know, your, your experience at this point, I mean, you've been watching players for a while and I'm just curious, like if there's anything kind of, you know, style wise that has changed um, for you. I I think the, the experience piece is, is huge just because yeah, now I can use prior you know, prior context of watching a guy, you know, watching who Gabriel Hughes was back in 2018 and seeing the characteristics he had when he was 15 years old, you know, helps me when I'm out watching, you know, 2025s or 2026s like, okay, these are some things they do. And obviously you have the metrics, you have, you know, what their velocities are, what their spin rates are. Mm -hmm. I think that's easy. Any of us could go out and like, okay, well, that kid's 87 and he's 15 is that going to translate to him being 95 when he's 21, but more so just watching how their bodies move. And, um, and then, I mean, let's be honest, this is a, this is a calculated guessing game for every recruiter, every pro scout of, you know, trying to, trying to look in that crystal ball of what a 16 year old is going to be when they're 
20, 21, 22, or mm-hmm. you know, to be a big leaguer, 29, 30, 31, how their bodies are going to hold up. But there's obviously um, different things that's subjective to each of us. Um, mm. You know, what I see could be different than what you see watching a guy. And I think that's the beauty of baseball. I mean, that's the, you know, what gives guys opportunities where you don't have to just hit this threshold. You have to be this to, to get here. Um, but then I think also specifically just for Gonzaga, you know, in that recruiting world is uh, maybe I'm going to try to find some value that somebody, uh, somebody else doesn't find in a player. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, pr- I'm proud of our, I'm proud of our program. I'm proud of our university. I also know there's X amount of schools. If we're fishing in the exact same waters, either I better get to those waters before them or my chances of landing that guy are, aren't huge. And so mm-hmm. maybe trying to find a similar guy who, maybe isn't quite as famous, but I can see, Hey, a year down the road, you're going to actually be a pretty similar type player. And mm. so trying to find some, find our niche and find some areas that maybe aren't as saturated, aren't, a, aren't a spot where, you know, mm. when you're going down to anybody can go down to Lake point, you know, down in Georgia and sit on the guy that's 92. Yeah. That's an easy guy to offer. Are you going to land that guy? Are you going to only one of us gets them. Right. And so yeah, trying to find a niche on that. So I think that's one thing, just really being a, trying to be efficient with my time and, and go into spots where I know we're going to get some return on investment. And when I say return on investment, on the investment of time and the investment of going out and um, evaluating the player and then getting them on campus, that whole process. I mean, as you know, that's, it doesn't just end on that first, if it was just a yes or no proposition, I think all of our, all college baseball coaches, wives would be happier, but it's a (laughs) developing relationships. It's getting them here and then, and then keeping that going. I think that's the biggest thing is, making sure that we're in a spot that, you know, we're going to be able to capitalize on that. Well, yeah, nowadays too, with the transfer portal, even if you get them, you know, and you have them for a year, it's like, okay, well, if they're not happy after that year, they can just bounce. And it's like, okay, so now I have to always be like recruiting my current players too. Like that's, that's like a whole separate thing that you guys have probably had to take on more recently, obviously with. I, I, 100%, 100%. We've, you know, the first two years of the transfer portal, we it didn't really impact us. And this year's team, um, yeah, it hit us, it hit us a little bit. And so I think, mm. you know, spending a lot of time this summer as a coaching staff, like, what do we need to do to, you know, change some of our processes? Maybe some of them, yes, you do, and maybe some of them, no, this is what we're, this is who we are, and this is what we're gonna do. And we want guys that this is, they're gonna be attracted to this. But I think it really made not just us, but everybody in the industry. You gotta look yourself in the mirror and say, like, what, what do we want to hang our hat on? What do we? what do we want to, you know, really have as a foundation that's going to attract players and not just be reactive to every situation. Cause I mean, you could do everything right in some scenarios and a kid's going to leave. Um, mm-hmm. You could do everything wrong in some scenarios and kids be like, no, this is, this is where I want to be. And I think we've yeah. all gone through that in our own playing careers of it's different though. The one thing I've asked a bunch of coaches is like, think back to like when we played, if there was just this open door to leave at any time, how many of our teammates have, or us individually would have been like, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go chase that because the opportunities there or that, you know, that Avenue to leave um, right or wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying right or wrong on that, mm-hmm. but we're almost forced to stay and it ended up benefiting them or some of them were forced to stay and it didn't benefit them. I mean, it's a, it's a, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to the transfer portal. I'm, I'm not in the school of thought saying it's the worst thing ever. Um, but I'm also not in the school of thought <laughs> saying oh, this is the best thing ever. Right. Like it's, there's, yeah. there's middle ground there on, on how that's going to impact programs because how did we rebound from getting hit by it a little bit this year? 
well, we had to, we had to dive into the transfer portal and get a few guys that obviously left somewhere else. And so it's a, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to here to September to really getting in with our guys and, and just starting that, that team building process and, and, and what this 2024 team is going to be. So. Well, yeah. And I know you don't want to like, we can't, we can't like look down upon the transfer portal. Cause it's like, what does that do for you? I do think that there is like a very glaring negative though. And you mentioned um, having a team with like a little bit of a niche, like in terms of the players you're looking for, you know, developing like a foundation, right? Use the word foundation. And I feel like the transfer portal can kind of take away from that a little bit. If you become a little bit too portal heavy and it just becomes like, okay, you know, we're just going to go out and get guys. And there's no, there's no style here. There's no like, uh, buzzword culture right it's like mm-hmm. it's like we can kind of just get whoever we want and I feel like on the player side that might discourage some you know some of your players and say like shoot well I mean like if I don't if I'm not like a starter this year then it's like all right it's a wrap it's like there's no like belief or trust or mm-hmm. um, sort of there's no weight on like the development side of things but we both know that's probably not the best solution to like you know, using the transfer portal. And you said like, that's what you guys want to do. You have, want to have a good foundation of players and like, yeah. uh, you know, a proper style. And like that even falls into your recruiting too. So in ter- now I'm actually curious uh, because I feel like this is different for different coaches, but in terms of how many players you're actually going after and like uh, talking to, like showing interest in, I mean, the amount of players that show up on campus, it's got to be very slim, right? Yeah. I, I don't even know what the exact hit rate is, right? Of like, hey, who we're talking to, who you land. Like, I, it almost might be a little discouraging to see what that number is because it, yeah, that is the, I mean, that, that's the biggest thing. And I, I think, especially, you know, I, I, I think the one eye opening thing for me the last 15 months of, if we're talking transfer portal here, is sure for the majority, how fast it happens. It's almost a shotgun wedding. Like, we're, hey, you're in portal, we talk. And it's either yes or no, whether it's us or somewhere else, like, or you have someone like, Hey, I want to come watch you play. I don't want to get to know you a little bit. Cause I, I want to see if you fit, you know, are you a, a square piece in a round, round hole here? Or are you, mm-hmm. are you going to, you going to match and like, Hey coach, I'm really interested, but I got a deadline from these three places in two days. So are you in, or are you out? And it's, it's you gotta, you gotta speed up your homework. And there's some, there's some educated guesses, which I think what you're saying, that's, that's trouble, I think, from from a culture standpoint at times, because you don't get to kind of vet out the whole process as you would at the high school kid. That's not to say high school, the high school process doesn't go fast, but I think that's the one thing I have the biggest worry. And I think I know this doesn't answer your, you know, kind of direct question there, but you mentioned the word culture. And I I'm mm. a believer 100 percent that culture is player driven. Um, yeah. That's one thing we we've talked about as a staff of, you know, we've relied so heavily on guys moving up the ladder, right? Hey, they're a junior. They've been in your program for three, four years. What are they, you know, follow their lead. Here's what they're going to do. They're going to be the communicators. They're going to be the liaison with the coaches and, and really have that fabric. And I, I think that as you, as you start to turn over rosters more, you know, we answered, you know, our, our ops guy asked me a question the other day, like, who's going to, who's going to be our guy this year. That's going to take that over. I'm like, uh, we are, we're going to be the ones that need to almost reestablish and maybe answer some of those, I don't know if they're petty questions, but ones that you're like, this doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, but 
let me mm. get you caught up to speed here. This is how we, I want you to do it. And, and really maybe take some of that burden off of a couple newer guys that maybe don't know what the exact expectation of what your program is. And, mm. and you hope by the end of the fall that yes, it's back to the pulse of that culture is, is the, is the heart of that clubhouse and, and what they're doing. And they're going to take the lead on that. Cause I really think the best teams I've been around, like everybody it's, not the coaching staff. I mean, they can help provide the guardrails, but it is, it's those players in that clubhouse that are, are creating that, that culture piece that yeah um, is such a fancy word that everybody, you know, loves to talk about. Yeah. And it's also so not um, directly like correlated to talent, you know, like just because your team is the most talented doesn't mean they're going to get along. And I've said this before on this podcast a bunch of times, like I'd rather have a team where that chemistry is crazy good, you know, and like maybe, maybe their talent level is all right. Um, but that chemistry, you're, when you face that team, you're like, oh man, like they, they are one unit and they're moving the same direction. They are all, you know, uh, pulling the same rope, you know, in a way uh, versus a team that's like super talented, but you can, you can just kind of see it like while they're playing, like they almost look like a, like an all-star team that was just put together for like one game, you know, or one weekend. Like a like a high school tournament team, and you're oh, like, yeah. you're like, yeah, I bet it's a lot more fun being on that less talented team with, with the more you know the better team chemistry. You like can it's feel just, it. You can feel it in the other dugout. Like it's just like, oh, they yeah. are. There's momentum over there. There's a buzz. Um, mm -hmm. I think you can. We talk about it all the time. But I think you can really feel it. Maybe the day after someone gets beat, and the next day they're still <laughs> showing up, and it is like, oh, they're still coming. Where you, I think the team you're talking about, you know, on the flip mm -hmm. side of they get beat and it's like, yeah, miserable. Right. Like they're, they're mm. in a spot that they don't want to play for each other. They're playing for, for one. And so, yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've definitely been on teams, you know, or team or two where we might lose a game or lose a series. Even we're like, that team wasn't better than us, you know, mm -hmm. like we're better than that team, but then it begs the question. Okay. So why'd we lose? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, they, collectively played better this weekend why is that mm, there are probably some key moments in the games where you know the momentum was you know a big factor in deciding on what happened in those moments and i mean especially with the inception or not inception but kind of the rebirth of like the high emotion like high uh intensity like show showmanship kind of of baseball like i feel like it's you know becoming a bigger part of the game like the last few years and that that kind of plays into the momentum piece of things right like it, it kind of does like it kind of actually affects the game in, in a little bit of a way right I think for sure I think if it's especially if it's if if it's that team's true identity and that's what they are um yeah it's got a little bit of uh it comes at you a little bit and if you're on the other side of it and you're maybe not that type of team it's it, it can affect you I think on the flip side if it's a a manufactured machoism i think mm. i think players see right through that of like yeah that's not who you guys are but i yeah i think when you have a team that's playing with true emotion and it's it's genuine that's that's just as powerful because i think that bleeds into the next at bat the next inning and those players kind of feed off off that momentum that they're creating in their own dugout which is is huge but i, re I really believe it's got to be genuine of who they are because if it's if it's manufactured by a coaching staff or one guy it's like no, that's not it. That's a, you're, you're an actor right now, which isn't, that doesn't play through. I mean, you see it, you, you guys play every day. I mean, that's <laughs> who you are is who you yeah. are. So. 
Yeah. Oh, for sure. And then, I mean, to tie this back into recruiting, I mean, this is, you know, this is why there's such a high emphasis on finding the quote unquote right guy, you know, as opposed to the, you know, okay, he's great on the field, you know, on paper, right? Um, you know, that's awesome. And like you said, everyone's going to be after that guy probably. Um, and that'll probably even make it harder uh, to go get that guy. And if he's not a fit, you know, personality wise, you, you, just with you even, mm-hmm. like I got to imagine that's that's got to set off some red flags where you're like, um, maybe like, sure. I'm not wild about the, the connection we have, though. And like that's got to carry so much weight, too, in the process. Right. I think the yeah, I think the phone calls and the connection piece, hey, can I develop a relationship with this kid is maybe the biggest way to to help, you know, indicate, hey, is that makeup going to be good? Um, yeah, we've had a lot of internal discussions. I have it with other programs. Like, how do you define makeup in a 16 year old? Right? Like, yeah, that is tough, huh? And I've had times like, and it's more so with guys that are local, um, that maybe I have more insight to that I've, I've written off a little bit and made Hmm. judgments about them when they're freshmen sophomores you know about not not character pieces nothing but just like oh what kind of competitor is he that maybe are a little bit unfair because i think if we all went back and looked at times that we when we competed as a 15 or 16 year old to what we then became it's probably a little bit cringeworthy you're like oh i (laughs) i did that i was i was this type of competitor like or i you know and so i think just trying to live by of trying to stay away from obviously major red flags. You're going to stay away from those, but I think just some, sure. some, and I think a lot of it too, we got to look at, like you said, most college coaches, this is our career. We've been doing this for a long time. So getting on a phone call, that's second, second nature for us interacting mm-hmm. in a visit to hold it against a 16 year old on his visit that he felt a little bit awkward or immature. Like, Ooh. I almost should be like, well, that's probably should be like um, normal. Like, you know, they, they have no idea on it. It's a, it's a lot. The recruiting process is, is a lot, but I, I think going back to what you said, if we can get on the phone and, and have a conversation and obviously as, as a recruiter, like you find some, some ways to connect with, with these young men. I'm like, Hey, this, mm-hmm. these are your interests and, and find out what their objectives are. I think those are, that's the biggest way. But I mean, if you had a, if we have something that's just completely, we can't find any common ground. Yeah, it's probably mm. a way like maybe we need to go find someone else who's gonna be a better fit to, you know, for me and for our program. Cause that is that's one thing I tell our guys, hey, like it or not, you're gonna be with me a lot, especially you pitchers. Like you better, you better yeah. at least like like my personality to some degree, because you know, figure out if my jokes are funny or just you're gonna put up with them. So <laughs> Well, and I find it really interesting how you guys have to navigate through the um, the interactions you have, because sometimes you might see a personality and like behavior mismatch where, for example, I'll just use myself. I can be pretty like I can be pretty talkative. I, you know, <laughs> I can talk a lot. And, you know, when I, when I was 15, maybe and I'm talking to a coach for the first time and I'm super excited about the school that's calling me. I might be a little bit more quiet, a little more passive, trying to, you know, just say the right things and not overstep too much. And I can definitely remember some times where, um, actually, I remember a very specific time where a coach was like, do you have anything for me? Uh, Do you have any questions for me? And if you had asked me, you know, to write down 10 questions in five minutes, I'd be done in two minutes. 
with all those questions. I probably get 30 questions in five minutes, but in the moment I'm like, uh, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, they're like, yeah, um, uh, call me back in like 10 minutes and then, you know, let's, let's do this again. You know, like, yeah. so you kind of have to get it out of them sometimes too. You, you gotta, you gotta kind of decipher like that mismatch sometimes in players, like, because they're a little bit nervous. Right. And I feel like that's one thing that's pretty difficult to navigate, but it's also probably pretty easy to navigate the level of interest in terms of like, okay, maybe one phone, maybe the first phone call, I get it. Second, third, it's like, okay, if I'm getting nothing out of this kid, like, why am I even pursuing this? Right. Like he's got to want to come to my school too, you know? Right. And I think that's the, that's the toughest one as a competitive side as a coach of like, okay, I think you start to ask your question, do I want to just keep beating this, not beating them down, but to the spot, like, I'm going to make you want that this is your spot. Or do I find that middle ground of like, I want you to be here because you want to be here. Like, we have a lot of really good things to offer. If this doesn't fit what you are, are looking for, okay, I mean, there's a lot of players out there. Like, that's, I think that's the one thing that we all look like there's a lot of division one baseball players out there. We just got to find them. And so you know, mm. if this is in the right spot for you, maybe I should look, you know, look somewhere else, but yeah, then you get caught into it. Like, no, I, I think I need to keep proving to you. You know, it's kind of like the, the romantic love story. You just keep showing up and just wear mm. them down. I, <laughs> yeah, I guess it kind of depends on that point of, you know, how invested you are in that player. Cause I, I think yeah. there's cert- certain positions. I'm not, there's certain positions on the field. I'm like, this isn't for you. Okay. Like you're a dime a dozen. Now, mm. if you're, if you're a left-hander that I think has a chance to pitch on Friday night, maybe we, uh, we, we keep, we keep having that conversation a little bit longer and see if we can keep showing you what we think we have. And that's, that's kind of the threshold that some players cross into where, you know, you might, I would say like 99% of players, like they're getting like, so-and-so interest like or so-so sorry interest a decent amount of interest maybe later in their years right but then there's those other guys where it's like they've been getting phone calls since they were in eighth grade ninth grade like they they have all this interest i mean they they feel like they're you know on top of the world um that they have all the leverage which maybe they do maybe they do have that leverage and then like it flips you know they kind of forget that they're like you know it's like a rare it's like a very great opportunity to have that interest and then it just becomes a game of like okay who can offer me more you know who can give me more right and yep. that can, that's just not that's not the kind of not the kind of player i'd want you know like you've heard you've probably heard the term like shopping offers or like trying to you know uh use them as currency to sort of like make the bidding war go up it's like Mm, like if I get whiff of that, it's, it's not, it's not the type of like dynamic I want to be involved in. Right. I mean, how often do you think that actually happens? I feel like that's got, I think it happens a lot. And I think really, okay. I don't know if that, I mean, does it happen a lot with the actual individual kid or does it happen with the summer coach that all of a sudden, Hey, X school offered this. I know that happens on that X school offered this. Hmm. And maybe that's, maybe some places use that as a threshold of like, Oh, good enough for them. Why wouldn't he be good enough for us? And, you know, comparing it dollar to dollar, I I don't know on that end, but Hmm. I think that's a tough one too, as a, as a 
you know, when you, when you get in a spot, like they, you're offering a player, like I said, this isn't football where it's just blanket, you know, basically a blanket waiver, right? You each get your, your 1.0. It's, I think we're trying to find a spot and try to find that middle ground of like, what makes this affordable? What shows that we're really invested in you? Hmm. But let's be honest, we're all trying to maximize our money. And so if I can, if you can get a guy for a 0.4 counter instead of a 0.6, well, that goes a long ways. And so that's, I think, the biggest guessing game of trying to figure out. Because, you know, on the hindsight, you know, oh, I, I gave you a 0.6. I could have got you for 0.3. Well, do you want to give it back? Well, no, that doesn't ever, that doesn't ever <laughs> you know, work in that regard. And so yeah. figuring that out is, that's the biggest guessing game in this whole process. Like, mm. where they, what their expectation is financially to, to say a yes, right? Like, mm. where do I need to get to? Yeah. If somewhere it gets a little bit better, does that influence you? Like, if you can go 10,000 out of pocket, did someone get into you 5,000 out of pocket? Does that change you? Or are you at a spot that like, no, this is about comparing two programs and I'm taking the money out of it. Like, yeah, not every family can, you know, money's money. Like we said earlier, money is a real thing and people want to maximize their value. Yeah. I, I think it's so hard to calculate that too, in terms of like, okay, the difference is whatever to five grand, right? Like the difference is five grand. Um, I'm projecting that I'm going to, even if I'm paying $5,000 more a year, right? Like I'll, I'll gain value by that much or more by going to that school, as opposed to paying less and going to this school. It's so hard to, to gauge. Um, and, and like, yeah, that's what makes this job so difficult. Um, you brought up the third party thing. I think that's such an interesting piece that uh, players frankly don't even think about a whole lot because I feel like that is actually um one of the more important things that players should probably think about when choosing, you know, in terms of like travel ball coaches to go to, or um, just how they treat, you know, teammates, players, uh, parents, you know, cause I'm sure you've called your fair share of like unexpecting uh, connections, you know, for a certain player, whether it's just like someone you used to play college baseball with or um, a coach who isn't a coach anymore, but still like, you know, maybe he does tournaments and like, you know, you, you used to coach with him, like whatever it is, mm -hmm. it could be just these loose little ties that can carry a lot of weight in the decisions you make. And for players, they might not understand that sort of thing. So, you know, I guess it's sort of a leading question, but like, how often are you using those third party, like, uh, pieces in order to just gain more information on, you know, not the player, but also the makeup. Yeah, nonstop. I mean, that's the way you, I think that's the biggest way that you filter down when you go to a big event, you're using those on the front end to like, hey, which guys should I actually be watching? Because there's, there's eight games going on. And if I just try to walk in here, it's me drinking water out of the fire hose. So using on the front end to filter down. And I think, you know, that new rule change, uh, you can just contact them directly after August 1st, instead of having, you know, the old rule where you went through the third party to have, Hey, have Johnny call me at six o'clock on Monday, that whole deal. Um, mm. But I really believe for those, a lot of those travel programs, those high schools, they're kind of the gatekeeper to, to those players. Um, and I think it's hard for families to know, like, especially if it's first time going through the process, like, mm. Hey, this program's got a really good reputation. This program doesn't. Um, I will say, and obviously this is a huge relationship based industry. You're trying to, yeah, you're trying to get as much information as you can. I think the one thing a lot of players understand is how many times we'll use a different source, maybe than their direct 
summer program to get information on them? Maybe it's someone in, you know, Hey, I know you guys played them a lot. What do you think of this shortstop? You know, how, how the interactions been on him, um, you know, utilizing a high school coach. Cause I, I think that is the one thing, like there are some programs that you know, maybe you don't have a great relationship with that, mm. that we, uh, you know, yeah, we just don't, or there's others that I just don't know them very well. And I don't know how I can trust their evaluation compared to someone else. And so you'll vet it against a, you know, someone who you do like, Hey, they've told me this about them. Does that match up? And so mm-hmm. that, that process is, is humongous. And I, I tell guys at our prospect camp every year, we will, we will contact their high school coach just to get some kind of interest or some kind of evaluation of what they think of them. Mm. The one thing the high school coach doesn't have, at least, you know, majority, they don't have any financial stake, whether you commit, don't commit, mm-hmm. where some summer ball programs, yeah, the business model is built off of how many commits do you have? I mean, inherently, you're going to you're gonna probably oversell a little bit just because plastering that up on the wall, now all of a sudden gets that many more kids. And I, I don't know, I'm not saying that's a wrong model, um, but I think as a recruiter, you need to know that of like, okay, this is this is what's going to help me get the best best picture of who this player is that there's mm-hmm. no do they fit us not because they fit you know you moving them on so yeah i guess it is a lot of like reading between the lines huh in I a way some, yeah I, I absolutely i mean we all let's be honest we all have agendas <laughs> we we yeah. all have agendas of what's going to advance us personally whether that's a coach a player um college i mean obviously our agenda is to get the very best players we can like mm-hmm. I'm not hiding from that and but every every family has an agenda on what they can what they're trying to do so the, the sooner you can hopefully try to figure out what people's intentions are and do the best you can i think that's going to help streamline the process when mm. when evaluating guys and giving them a yes or a no and then taking that next step yeah i've always found it funny when uh when coaches they kind of uh not assume but they expect like every one of their players to like want to be a big leaguer like i i do like that that sort of idea it's like you guys should always be striving to be the best that you can but we all know the reality is like if you get like two players drafted out of like you know 35 or whatever like that's a huge win (laughs) like even maybe even one at some programs you know like just getting guys drafted too so i gotta imagine like for you guys getting guys with like a lot of ambition is pretty important, but it's also not like, it's not what leads to like such a successful team. And I, I don't know. I'm just thinking about like um, what a high schooler probably hears, especially on something like this, like a podcast, like when they hear a coach say like, yeah, we want guys with like ambition stuff. And then they kind of just know to like throw that line in there whenever they're talking to you, you know, it's like, how much weight does that even carry? Like, yeah, I'll just say it. You know, if I, how do you, you guys don't even know, like, how, how could you, like their yeah. minds are going to change maybe like, who knows? Like, you're, you're I mean, I think me personally, I'm as guilty as anybody on that. I mean, we sell the fact that we've had a lot of guys drafted here over the last, you know, 10 years. Yeah. So you guys are unique. What, you guys are definitely so, in a unique position. But, but what's my follow-up to that is, Hey, Johnny, do you, you want to play pro ball? Don't you like, and I'm almost yeah. setting them up to what, what kid's going to tell you no coach I actually am just looking for my four-year career like right, I think you're right. right they've they've been conditioned and we're almost conditioning them with that convert you know that question of like yeah. hey where don't you want to do this like and there's nothing like you said there's nothing wrong for guys like 
you know what, I'm just going to go see where it takes me. Cause I think a lot of us have seen there's a handful of guys that, yeah, they had no intention to really do anything other than just show up that day and see how much they could compete. And mm. now all of a sudden they put themselves in a spot to, to move on. But we've had a handful, it's tough for me to, to say that because I've had a handful of guys on both ends of the guys that had a scripted out, like these are my goals and I'm going to check them off. And they did. And then there's obviously on the flip side, a bunch of guys that had those goals and they fell short of it. Does that make their career a failure? I hope not. I hope they don't feel that way. But then there's other guys that went into it with knowing, you know, they were just stepping in the waters and see where they could get. And mm -hmm. some of them have gone really far. And so I think each personality is different on that end, but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely guilty of setting them up. Like if you want to play pro ball, I'll make the bigs. Right. And yeah. <laughs> I can tell coach, no, like, what are we doing? Yeah. Well, I think once you get to campus, it's a matter of not losing that ambition because you and I have probably seen before both sides of the coin where a guy might come in, he's a hotshot freshman recruit, right? Has a bad year, uh, then just kind of loses a little bit of that fire in him and mm -hmm. uh, maybe maybe starts to coast a little bit or start, start to take uh, priority in other things. And next thing you know, it's like, oh, this kid who is like one of our best guys out of this recruiting class, like he just ends up, you know, not wanting to even like have that be his main thing anymore. You know, it's college, things change. But then on the other side, it's like guy comes in, maybe he's the walk-on or he's just kind of like flying under the radar, you know, as a freshman, you're like, mm, okay, yeah, like we'll see, you know, we'll see. But he sticks at it for a couple of years. And by junior year, it's like, we got to do it on our hands. This is a yep. everyday starter. Like he is a no doubt about it pro, especially if he has a good year. And then it's like, yeah, lock him in for a top 10 round pick. Like yep. he stuck with it. You know, he never lost that fire. Like he, you know, he persevered. He went through a lot of struggles maybe. And mm -hmm. like, he got it done. So it's like, hmm, okay. Uh, great that you have that ambition. Like that's awesome, you know, but uh, how are you going to keep it? You know, how are we, how are you going to hold on to that and like not lose faith in yourself? I, I think, I mean, that's obviously every one of these guys, not everyone, most of them, they're, they're obviously the big fish in a little pond and they get to college. It's like, Oh, you're good. You're good. And I think the biggest thing, if, if more young, young athletes, regardless of the sport, mm. I mean, success isn't this, this linear step-by-step step. the very few that we read about, you know, have some of them get to just check every box and they, they're the golden boys and they get to do that. But yeah. for the majority of us and the majority of players, it's to step back and how are you going to learn from that? And, and how is that going to help you propel yourself forward? Like adversity is a real thing and adversity helps create more opportunity at times. Um, mm. Maybe having something taken away from you needed to go, whether that's going the junior college route, whether that's losing playing time, it keeps that, you know, I guess how you dangle that carrot and, and what's going to keep you striving forward and keep you wanting to, to get better. Cause I, I think that's a real thing. I mean, I guess the, my best thought on this, and I, I was joking with a couple of coaches this last couple weekends, mm. area codes just happened. Yeah. Can't tell you we're going to have our first team meeting here in two weeks. And I'm, 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 I'm going to prep our freshmen because it happens every year. Hey, bud, you don't need to wear your area code shirt and in, into the first team meeting. Because here, here's here's the reality. <laughs> Either there's a bunch of dudes who they did area codes too, and they're they're not that impressed. Or on the flip side, 
there's a handful of dudes that feel like they got snubbed from getting area codes and they're really not impressed with it because they know they're on a level playing field with you now. And that's, mm. I think it's, and that's our role as coaches. When we got to find what's going to motivate these guys and keep them going. You have a, a big blue chip recruit that comes in that fails, fails for the first time. How do you keep, how do you keep lighting his fire and, and keep encouraging them, even though he needs to learn from the fact of like, yeah, it's not as easy as you thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And then you have the other guys that they're self-motivated and how do I keep maybe encouraging them that like, Hey, you're actually a lot better than, than what you think you are like you got a chance to be special keep matching that with that chip that you have that's that that inherent belief that man i gotta prove somebody wrong that's that's pretty powerful i think when that when those two worlds collide i feel like more times than not you see just this roller coaster of okay i'm in high school i'm up here i'm at the top right then you get then you get to freshman year and it's like oh steep drop off like you are now the bottom of the pool you're an 18 year old you're facing the 22 year olds you are like if you're competing with them, you're an anomaly. And then you kind of slowly realize like, no, you were never down here. Like you, you're, you're all the same, you know, you're all, you're all on the same level playing field. You know, there's no one above uh, anybody. Like that's just not how things are. Um, And if it is how you feel that things are, it's probably in your head a little bit. Like you're probably just naturally, like you said, conditioned a little bit to kind of say like, okay, um, I have to be the best guy on the team. If I'm not, then I'm like, I don't have any value. It's like, no, there's so much more value to, to have, like, especially in a college baseball team, there's so much more in there, you know, cause you have time to, to like get better. And it's like, okay. I, then eventually, yeah, you learn, you just learn like, okay, maybe I don't have the value like right now, but I can be valuable in other ways. And eventually I can, I can grow. You know, I can get better. I can, I can be in that position that I want to be. But even when you get there, you're still on the same playing field. Same thing. Like you're all just one team, you know? For sure. Um, I do want to ask uh, if you have a take on this. And this is kind of tough. Like I, I feel like this might be a little bit of a tough uh, question to ask. But um, on average, you know, just, you know, to lay, think about it, the whole scope of like, all the high schoolers that are getting interest um, for, from colleges. Do you think it's like, you know, more wise to choose the quote unquote best school uh, that is offering you or the one with the most opportunity to play? Because I've juggled this, this kind of conundrum before. I've definitely thought about this and I've actually in one scenario made one decision and the other one made another. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious, like where you fall in that. Yeah, I think I fall squarely in the middle. There's my, no. Um, (laughs) I think that's a tough one because I think we all know if you're going to get better at playing baseball, you need to play baseball. Um, And a lot of times it doesn't do you a lot of good to go. I mean, if you sit for one season, whether that's, I don't know, a red shirt or you're just not the main player, but you have a chance to get yourself in the mix that next year. I think that's one scenario. Yeah, if you're if you're consistently buried for two three years in a row, like the chances of you getting unburied, just it's it's not likely. I mean, you're going to get recruited over. There's going to be JC guys or portal guys coming in now. It's crazy um, the turnover, yeah. But to tell a a 16 year old kid that hey, I'll use the other side that Florida State, that opportunity is not right for you because there's going to be a lot of kids there. I actually hope most kids look you right in there. I'm like. Oh yeah. Like, let me prove you, let me prove you wrong. Like 
Mm. I want the guys that have that mentality that, yeah, I'm, I'm good enough to play anywhere as opposed to, Hey, you're a nice, comfortable fit. Cause I think I can, I can play that spot easier at Gonzaga compared to somewhere else. Like, mm-hmm. to, and I think that's where the role of, that's really where the role of that third party, I think needs to, they need to step in, I think a little bit more than, than some parties do have been like, Hey, this is the best fit for you. Like, yes, mm-hmm. X school might be the really high profile. You have a, you have a good path to play in there or, Hey, you better figure it out in a semester or you're going to be at the local Juco after whatever eyes wide open that you know that. Um, mm, yeah. But to expect a 16 year old to, to think along those lines, I, I hope they have the mentality of like, no, I'm, I'm going to fight and compete wherever I'm at. Um, yeah. But I think as you, as you know, I mean, being able to get in and, and play and have an important role more times than not is the direct path to development and to getting better. And, um, and just hopefully, you know, furthering your career along. That's a, that's a really tough question. I mean, it really is just in yeah. terms of what's going to be best for my path. I mean, what's, cause we've all had it. We've all seen guys. I mean, why do, even in today's era, I, I look at the NFL in this regard. Hmm. Why do half of the quarterbacks in the NFL, not half, but why did Josh Allen go to Wyoming? Why is that guy not, why is he not playing in the SEC? Right? Like why was at one point there, two quarterbacks from Eastern Illinois, which is, you know, D1 AA, what local guy, why, why did Cooper cup go to Eastern Washington university and mm. couldn't play at a power five? Like, I think the answer to some of that is one, they got a huge chip on their shoulder and they figured out they got a chance to go play and they got a chance to, to navigate that. Some of those waters that if they would, if they would have went to a bigger school, there was something blocking them. They would have, they would have never put themselves in that position to, to mm. go be as great as they are. Right. And, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a keeping that mindset and keeping that that ability to want to go compete at anywhere you're at. I think is the answer. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'd expect a kid to to know that early is that's pretty deep. So. Yeah. From a position of retrospect, it's a little bit easier to kind of like weigh it out. Where I now I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of my 16 year old self, where all I had was like this one opinion about this one school and it was like, okay. Um, if they don't find it out, you know, it'll, they'll find it out soon enough when I get there, you know, how I felt about the school, it'll just show up in my, uh, my day-to-day attitude, you know, about how things are going. So I guess the advice actually that comes out of this is like, don't be afraid. You know, if you're a player that's getting recruited by a good school, uh, don't be afraid to kind of just like, be pretty honest about your intentions or, or even just like how you feel like about, about the school, the interest or whatever it is. Cause you're probably wasting, you know, a coach's time if you don't have that much interest or you, you know, you do kind of expect like, yeah, like uh, if I go to your school, you know, you might not word it this way, but it, but you might have the feeling of, yeah, I, I'm, I have interest in your school because I know that if I show up, I'll be the big dog on campus. Like I'll be the guy uh, coming in. Uh-huh. Like, it's probably important that, that the coaches know that, <laughs> like, and yeah, that you I, also like realize that in yourself. Cause it's like, okay, yeah. well, uh, I mean, if they're expecting you to be great, but, uh, you gotta be ready for that one. That's for sure. You know, maybe yeah. if they're not, maybe if you're like, yeah, I mean, Hey, I don't know about this. Like, I'm I feel like I'm taking a leap of faith in the school and they're like, okay, yeah. Gr- I mean, but we want you like, that's, that's probably a good sign too. Like, yeah. 
it's so tough. That is, that is a tough thing. I, to I think navigate. the level, I think the level of the offer, I think I can speak to that for some too. I, I find it, hmm. yeah. that's, I find it kind of funny too. I mean, they happen. How many players do you have at our position, you know, on your squad? And I like, yeah, that's a valid question, but it's also, this is college baseball. I don't care if you're at a division one, two, three, you're at a junior college. There's going to be other dudes standing out there, right? If you're at shortstop, there's probably a, at least three guys out there fighting for the same role. And um, mm. I think that's where obviously the level of offer maybe speaks to getting in you, you in the door. Like we're not promising you that you're going to start, but my scholarship money tells you that I'm betting on the fact that, yeah, I think you have the best chance to start, but what you mm. do once you get here is, is real pitchers. Yep. There's, there's going to be a lot of you here. We get a 40 man roster. Now there's probably, probably at least 18 of you out there, like mm -hmm. plugging it away. And I, which is, I think that's evolved a little bit in the last few years where just the number you get to increase that, but yeah, you know, every school is going to protect themselves. But I, I, I just, I laugh at that a little bit when parents ask me, I'm like, you're asking me go to a junior college practice. There, there might be 50 <laughs> dudes out there. Like, yeah. Best Got an A and a B play. team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We all want to win. Like we're gonna try to get the best guys out there. So yeah, no. Oh my gosh. I mean, that is kind of like one of the realities. I feel like parents maybe first time going through it, um, sort of fail, fail to realize and like you know, it hits them a little bit hard and like uh, a little bit too late a lot of the times. It's like, yeah, um, this is our jobs at stake, and um we we cannot afford to be like married to one player because if that one player starts, you know, hitting a, a buck 50 and striking out a bunch and committing errors, it's like next guy up. Like we, our hand is being forced here. Right. For sure. I mean, that's, <laughs> and I think that's the one spot and I think people can have their opinions on amateur baseball. When I say amateur, like high school and younger on the state mm -hmm. of the game, right. With travel ball and for, legion or high school whatever you want to characterize as but mm. i do think this is literally like college baseball there's really one agenda or trying to win like winning games now there's ways to do that where you're hopefully it's not at the expense of players like there's examples on every side of that right where it's some programs are as cutthroat as minor league baseball or indie ball like you don't perform there's other places that yeah you have more of a leash to to fail and learn and have a career but mm. at the end of the day we're all we're all trying to win games and that's that's the biggest thing and i i don't know if that's always felt from some families growing up because i mean you look at the summer ball circuit now the majority of those tournaments they're not about winning games they're about quote unquote exposure and what colleges are going to be they're not necessarily hey did we win now i'm painting with a broad brush right there there's some programs that are obviously yeah, they're invested in development and winning. Uh, there's a lot of programs that are there. There wouldn't be so many good players entering college baseball if there weren't. But mm -hmm. I think from the expectation, just talk to families, like there's some that that's all they're consumed by. And if, you know, if they don't have the perspective of going through it before, like they just see it as a, you know, a transactional relationship. Okay. This equals this, where a lot of times that's not the case. And so trying to, mm -hmm. you know, get to that spot that, yeah, Hey, you're here, you're gonna have a career, but yeah, we're, end of the day when when you come to games the best nine guys that we think we, we're wrong obviously at times but the best nine are going to be out there and that's what we're we're trying to do so. yeah and when you bring it back to um 
the kind of that player side, you know, and making decisions to go to school. Um, and for you guys to have to, you know, turn that in, you know, turn that freshman into a junior that, you know, is developed, right? Like very rarely do you get guys where they show up on campus and they're ready as freshmen. And I think that's kind of the beauty of technology being introduced in this game or not introduced, but uh, just kind of growing in this game is that those tools you guys can use to help those players develop have just become, you know, really like pretty well, you know, when it's done right. Like, and you, you've seen, I'm sure you've used like some of these tools uh, to, to make some great strides for your, your players. Um, it can be pretty magical. Now, when it comes to like the recruiting side and we've been on recruiting for a while, by the way, when, yeah. <laughs> when, when it comes to recruiting side, how often are you using those tools? Maybe, you know, let's just call it technology, broad spectrum uh, to, to look at those players and, and maybe how, like, does that, is that uh, influencing how much more or, or less you're willing to take chances on a guy you know, per se um, based on what you're, what you're seeing and using with technology? Yeah. I think the evaluation process, I mean, maybe it helps streamline it a little bit. Um, mm. I think maybe it helps filter down, like someone telling you that, hey, Johnny can do X, his exit velo is this, or whatever it might be, right? Like whatever metric that you want to use as a program. Um, I think maybe it eliminates one step of the process. I think at the end of the day, though, all of us are still going to try to get out and see it with our own eyes and see how they're moving. Now, the older they get, I think that the more it becomes a factor, at least for us, because it's a little bit more tangible to who they're going to be. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you could have a guy that you really like, and then all of a sudden your eyes have been lying to you a little bit because that weekend it was really good and really productive, but maybe some of the physical stuff doesn't play out. And then it's the balance of like, okay, what am I looking for here? Am I looking for a really good baseball player? Is he a really good baseball player? Or did I just catch him on two really good games? because the physical part maybe doesn't match up to, you know, the results that we saw. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's, it's another tool. It's a, it's a positive tool that we can use to keep deciphering through. I mean, cause it's recruiting packets are daunting, right? They're just so many players and how you filter that down to figure out which one's a yes. I think any, any additional like objective measurement is, is a good thing in that regard. Yeah, I see it as another thing you can kind of use to cross reference because uh, mm -hmm. to, to rely so heavily on one thing, you know, just your eyes or just what other people are saying about a player or just the technology would be short sighted. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's a lot more useful to use. Okay, technology is that confirming what I see um, technology and uh, consistency, you know, in that technology, like, uh, or is it just a, like you said, a good couple weekends, like, there's a lot of different ways now you can cross-reference it. And technology, I guess, is kind of just like the the main one, it sounds like, or not the main one, it's one of the main ones now that, you know, it sounds like that you can use for like going and getting a guy. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, and I think, especially if you're looking at a young kid, like a pitcher, you see they can spin their breaking ball at a high rate. That's that's pretty exciting, right? Like you're- Sure. That's a, that's a good, that's not going away. Um, what, even if he's- I think it's a good indicator too of like, man, they, they can really spin and they can really have good hand speed that that fastball velo that's going to jump here too, pretty soon too. He's just not strong enough yet. And so I think that's one been one of the biggest ones for us is just being like, well, they can spin the baseball. They can do some good things there, you know, or a guy that's getting a, 
yeah, just like you said, it it, it cross references what your eyes see. But I think those are some big mm. ones there, just to that stand out and pop at you. Well, I feel like in college baseball these days, like guys are just throwing harder now, and like the average fastball, it's it's um what's it's kind of leveling out. Like the playing field's a little bit like leveling out. There's more guys now. It seems like throwing in those upper 80s, low 90s than ever before. And then obviously you don't have a ton of guys throwing 95 plus. I mean, you're seeing more, but now it's like, okay, um, a lot of guys throw hard. A lot of guys have a, this fastball. It's like, we got to have something else on top of that too. Like, I feel like the, the breaking ball is becoming so much more influential in a game. And we're, I mean, I can just think of a lot of guys, you know, in college baseball where it's like, yeah, like this guy's pitching a lot because he has like one, you know, great breaking ball pitch or off-speed pitch that he can just like rely on. And especially on the technology side of things, I feel like you can do so much to like manipulate uh, and like mess around with pitch design in terms of breaking ball stuff. Whereas fastball, I feel like it's a little bit tougher to say like, okay, you have this fastball. Like if we make this one little change, it'll completely change the shape of your fastball. You know, like that's a little tougher to do. Whereas a breaking ball, it's like, Oh, you just changed like the pressure on this finger. Totally different pitch, maybe. Like right. The shape of it, the spin of it. I mean, everything there. And I think, yeah. I think you know, we keep talking about recruiting because I mean, I think recruiting is the lifeblood of college baseball. I mean, it really is like getting good players and mm-hmm. it's constant. But um, you know, I think identifying in that process, like, yeah, do they have one really good pitch that's a secondary pitch that's a separator? Cause I, I think what you're seeing a lot too, I think a lot of programs are seeing like you can develop velocity. I mean, that's, and you can project on velocity a little bit, whether that's, you know, programming for it, right. With, you know, a, a velocity program, or even just the fact that, you know, that that kid's going to be in the weight room four days a week, which is going to make a jump just in its own. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't know if you can necessarily teach a really good change up. Um, you can talk about it. You can emphasize it. Like, you know, someone who's got a good feel for that, that's, that immediately puts them, I think, you know, give them a little bit of a, a head start when they start that race, when they get on campus or man, he just has a feel for spinning the ball. You know, immediately that there's a floor there on your, on your staff of like, at a minimum, mm. I don't know if he's got a chance to be a three pitch weekend starter, but at a minimum, he's got a chance to be a leveraged seventh inning guy that can come in and I don't know, spin it 60% of the time. And and be something different for an opposing lineup. I mean, that's where I think we definitely look at that that piece to it, where of, of figuring out what's mm. going to separate you and the off-speed pitch. Like you said, unless your fastball is just special, which we've all been around guys that have special fastballs at times. But sure, college baseball, man, it's, they're sitting over there with sophisticated training off of machines. They got a metal weapon in their hands. Man, if you don't locate 93 – it doesn't that doesn't overwhelm guys anymore like mm-hmm. it really doesn't that I, I laugh and our head coach has been around it for a long time coach Mactoff it he sees 90 to 93 on a scouting report now and he's like doesn't even like, oh okay he's like if that had been 15 years ago I saw 9093 on a scouting report I'm like we got our hands full today and yeah. it's just <laughs> that evolution and yeah and getting it going is it's pretty pretty astounding to be honest just the amount of the velos you see on opposing team scouting reports and you, know, you expect it from certain programs and others you're like huh they got four dudes going you know whatever it is like it's pretty pretty fun 
And this is where I, I love talking about the, the kind of debate of specializing a player or pitcher specifically, specializing a guy versus making him a jack of all trades, let's call it. Uh, because it seems like, at least the college level maybe, to specialize a guy, it's got to be pretty special. Like, he's got to have that. He's got to have a really special pitch. You know, you can't just say, like, okay, you can only land fastball slider for strikes. Like, that's all you're going to be. It's like, no, you, you're probably going to have to mess around with, like, a curveball or a changeup, something like a split, like, to have that third offering, you know, because you, getting through a lineup one time, even as a relief guy, like, it's going to be kind of tough with just, like, two so-so, you know, pitches. It's like, no, you got to find something special. But on the flip side, it's like, if you can throw four pitches for strikes, like give guys different looks, you know, that's, that's so like valuable too, you know? So, I mean, uh, and obviously it's case by case, but yeah. do you have like a preference towards that? Like, do you, do you have like a style I, toward that? Like, do, do you like think to the, think about that at all? I think that's a big balance because you have, you know, what's going to make them successful in the immediate, right? Like what's right in front of them. We, I have, guys every year i'm like i think long term you need to be able to do this you need to be able to you need to be able to get a you know right-handed arm that's fastball slider like you said sure at a certain point we're gonna need to do something to get a left-handed hitter out right because there's gonna stack lineups but maybe you have guys in front of them but you're like okay those are your two best bullets right now let's focus on those make those great mm-hmm. but we got to know on we got to keep developing that third pitch and, and keep going because you know in the spring season it's it's tough to keep there's not a lot of experimental innings, right? In college baseball, I guess that's one of the biggest things. And so, yeah, you know, this is what's going to make you successful. And um, maybe that's our point of emphasis for summer ball. And I know we were talking about that before we got on air of, mm-hmm. but that's tough too. There's, there's a scoreboard on when, when you're in the Northwoods league, there's a scoreboard on um, the West coast league, Cape Cod league, like there's stats on the, and so finding that time and finding that spot of development versus winning and losing it. Cause I think that's what that, that question boils down to of like, mm. What's going to make me successful? Um, but what's going to make me successful in the long run? And sometimes those those aren't on the same page where, mm. you know, I think where you have times like, hey, these next two months, I need you to be really good at these things. You're not going to be able to throw your I'm not I'm not throwing your change up in the eighth inning or up by two. I'm not getting beat by your third pitch because you're you're working on it. But finding a time that they can do that. And um, and I think even you extend that to fall ball, like like we were talking for on air there too. Like you could argue those six or seven weeks of scrimmages are that's when people start establishing the pecking order, but there's a certain amount of guys like, Hey, I have an idea what you can do. Let's step out of our comfort zone right here. And we're going to prioritize like whether that's you got to be able to throw your third pitch or, Hey, you're not allowed to throw a fastball away. Every fastball needs to be in. We need to get comfortable with Mm. throwing the ball to that side of the plate or whatever Mm. that might be, but being mature enough as a coach too, to be like, Hey, I told you that I took away maybe your comfort zone that the results maybe are, are they're lying to you a little bit right there. Cause you're putting them in a different, a different format, if that makes sense. Like that's, yeah, which is really tough to walk away from a weekend. Sometimes and be like, man, feel really good about him being my dude, but he got hit around in an inner squad. Like that's only half of, you know, trying to find that they, they have to have some, some form though. That's, development based where there isn't just an outcome that's going to dictate everything because i think if you do you you end up just 
can be hard to ever keep growing on that end. Yeah, I'm stuck on this whole uh, getting knocked around in a fall ball game because I feel like I've seen it a couple of times. And so, like, I, I think I've had it. I think I had that happen to me, like, one time where I got knocked around for a few runs. And then I think from that point on, I was like, all right, I what did I do wrong? Like, immediately, I'm like, what did I do wrong? Let's fix it. So, like, there's something. You know, I got, I got to work on this. And uh, I didn't see that in other players that I played with, you know, that might get just keep getting hit around and I keep seeing them make the same mistakes over and over definition of insanity, right. It's doing the same thing yep. over and over expecting a different result. Is it something you uh, do with uh, like your pitchers in the fall? Like when you see a guy get knocked around, like, is there something you put in kind of place for them saying like, okay, Hey, look, like got knocked around. Like let's go over this outing and see like what went wrong here. Yeah. I think the biggest, that's a, I've been on sides of it where, Hey, this, we're going to post fall ball stats. Right. And there's a, I think mm. the one thing with fall ball is good and bad when, when fall, when that day's over on that Sunday or Saturday, whenever you had your scrimmage, like the day's over, right. It doesn't go on social media. It doesn't go on a stat page. Um, but there's times I want guys to feel the repercussions of like, yeah, we had to roll the inning twice. You know, when we get to the spring, like, you don't get to go back out there when that happens and, and, yeah. and having that learning curve, but to get back to kind of what I was just saying, like there's some times they need to learn how to work through, through some things and mm. the fall ball shouldn't just be debilitating and crushing that if they can't perform, they can't pitch because there's times we need to work on things. And so I think mm. that's where the role is, especially as a, as a, you know, position coach, whether it's me as our pitching guy or, you know, our infield coach, hitting coach, whoever that might be a, of really having honest feedback, whether that's the next day or two days later. And like, Hey, this is what you're working on and, and having enough trust that you can be honest with them and, and give them that feedback of like, Hey, yeah, you got crushed. Um, let's talk about why, What you know, maybe that was just the game. You got, you got beat a little bit that day or, Hey, you were in a, you were in a fastball count and have no ability to land something different. Like you're going to get crushed at this level. Um, but mm -hmm. I think, using that fall. And I, I think having, you know, that, that relationship base, that those conversations with each guy is the answer to that. That's the answer for us on that. Because if you just put up a, a stat sheet and everybody knows what it is like, well, now all of a sudden we're back to, they're going to go back to comfort. They're going to go back to, no, I'm not, I'm not throwing a change up in this count. Like I'm going to, I'm going to try to back foot a slider. Cause that's what I'm really good at. Mm. Well, my prior history tells me if you're going to get lefties out at a high rate, you better be able to get something that's moving away from them, right? Whatever it might sure. be like, you better be able to locate your fastball here. Or if not, there's going to be adjustments from a seasoned division one hitter. That's they're going to hit that tendency. They're going to know it, especially based off of what your, yeah. your profile is. And so um, that's why I think feedback, personal feedback is, is where we're going to try to really get that and be honest with the guys be encouraging, but be honest. So. Yeah, that's such a tough thing to to kind of juggle to or like to balance is a pitcher playing to like their strengths all the time versus trying to find a hole in someone's bat. Because I feel like in college, especially more often than not, it's kind of hard to always be banking on like what your what your strengths are. And now this again, this isn't for like the the stud, like yeah. the stud, you know, Friday guy, like that's different. Like he's got his thing. Like it works a lot of the time. Great. You know, not every guy's like that, 
mm-hmm. uh, especially guys like coming in their first year. It's like someone's probably seen what you what you can do, you know, <laughs> unless you're special. So it's like, sure. so it's like you kind of have to learn a little bit uh, on the strategy side of things to also like kind of figure out like, hmm, this hitter that's a bad swing. Like maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll throw that ball in the same same spot, you know, like or ooh, he almost hit that for a double, but he fouled it back to the net. Like okay, maybe I won't put that ball in that same spot, you know, or or I do, but it has to be a surprise count type of thing, you know. So it's like there's some strategy in that too, some mental side of the game as well. Um, and it sounds like that's something you you actually focus on a little bit too. It's like kind of helping those players sort of develop that piece of it too. It's like how important the sort of mental preparation for like those types of outings are. Well, I think if you're looking, especially in just like the fall, like what you're saying, there's a level of like they need to experience it to know it. Mm-hmm. You have a high school or JC guy coming in, like what you thought was a good fastball, like location might might need to adjust a little bit, right? So getting that that experience, because if you just go in like, well, that's you throw a bullpen, well, that's not good, that's not good. Well, they need a, a live hitter to um, to give them that feedback. I mean, the game the game is still the best, the most honest piece of this whole equation, right? Like mm-hmm. game the game doesn't happen in a bullpen, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Game happens between the white lines, so let the hitter swings talk to you a little bit. Um, but I think one thing, once we get you know deeper into the fall, you get your last two or three outings. I'll actually go in and I'll call pitches for these guys because we call pitches in the spring. That's just, you know, like a lot of college programs and, mm-hmm. and really try to help get them an identity too. of like, this is what I think your profile is of how you're going to get division one hitters out. Not the, not the eight hole in a, in a split squad, because maybe he's not technically a division one hitter yet. Right. Like he's working there to, to get to that spot. Yeah. But yeah. You might not be able to just go, 70% fastballs and put away a guy with a slider. It might need to be we have some balance here and and figure out how you're going to get the three hole out from the best team in the conference and 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 start to learn that. So I think the quicker we can once they've had some experience of like this is what I'm seeing, what are you seeing and and have some open dialogue right there of like mm, yeah. Yeah, like the way you attacked hitters in high school probably not probably like isn't the isn't the same path and it's probably just similar to the, the jump for most guys from college to professional baseball I'm like hey this is what you do I know that's one of the biggest jumps to getting a lot of feedback from our guys that are there of getting very specific very direct you're successful when you throw your fastball to this quadrant you're successful when you throw your slider to this zone right here um what you think you're doing well like really the numbers don't back because like, I think the sophistication and some of that stuff in pro ball is so amazing, right? Like there's no hiding, like they, they can tell you. And so I think doing that to some level at the college, you know, to some degree at the college level is, is what we're trying to accomplish on that too. Of like what you think you're good at, you're, you need to work on, um, but here's right, what you actually, right, right. here's what you actually do really, really well. Um, and let's maximize that. Let's, let's keep going on that. And I think that part's been, getting feedback from our guys that's really eye-opening here the last few years some of our guys in pro ball them telling me like this is they'll come back to a bullpen in the winter and like you're trying to throw that pitch there like yeah this is like well, crap i've been telling you for four years that was an awful zone for that pitch like you know <laughs> that's so funny i mean yeah it's uh yeah just like the tech sort of involvement for development like it is a it, it can be such a 
like questionable thing like you can you can look at something and you're like really like this is what works like okay and then like sometimes it does and you're like all right cool like maybe i'll rely on this a little bit more often like sure um I, but in season i i gotta imagine like there's gotta there, there's gotta be such a heavy influence on like okay yeah like sure this guy has the 12th best stuff on our team right like he's not he's not like a cr- cr- he doesn't have crazy stuff or whatever mm-hmm. it is but he's getting outs so it's like look we're not we're not in the business of like developing the guy's stuff right now like we're in, we're in the business of like getting outs you know winning baseball games too um so and i i've definitely heard coach different coaches different opinions on this like during the season it's got to be kind of difficult to not focus but like you like kind of care too much about development right like i know you said we're always developing but it's like how do you balance that like how do you how do you say like okay yeah like we're developing but we're also here trying to win games it's like what's like what do we what do we do about that you know, because some players, especially the ones that aren't playing as much, like they're definitely going to be like, okay, well, how can I get better so that I can play? You know, like, like what do you even do there? Yeah, I think that's the case by case basis because I think you have, you want to keep the main thing the main thing. Like, this is yeah. what's keeping you successful. This is what's going. Um, and I think you need to know your individual athlete too because there's certain guys who I think you can tinker in a side session and knowing that, hey, we're, we'll tinker with it again next week and, it's getting close mm-hmm. and then they can separate that they can get into a game and they're going to go out there and compete with what they have. Like they know what, they know what their arsenal is that, mm. that day and they're going to go do it. But then there's a bunch of other guys that if you tinker with them too much and all of a sudden they're taking that out into a competitive setting right there when it's not ready to be in that mode or mm. they start to, I call it the YouTube factor, but they start to not trust that, I have to tinker with this because it's not good enough. Well, it's like, you've only been using that grip for two weeks. Like this takes time that, that whole, you know, repetitions and being able to get comfortable with it mm. can tinker too much at times. Right. We've all done that as pitchers. You, you're messing with a grip and all of a sudden, now all of a sudden the one that you, was somewhat successful for you, now you lost complete feel for that one too. And so I think mm-hmm. finding that blend and, and knowing your individual is, is the biggest component to that of like, what can they, I'm not going to say the maturity level on it, but maturity level as a competitor of like, Mm. what can they handle? Like, can I, can I talk to you about this? And it's not going to blow up these other parts of your world as a pitcher or man, I I don't want to throw that in the mix because all of a sudden your mind's going to be spinning and we need to simplify for you. Um, Mm. And I I think that's the, the biggest thing of really trying to figure out in the fall and winter of like, what kind of athlete am I working with here? What, what, what are they prioritizing in their thoughts? Um, can they do it in their side work or do we need to completely scrap it and tell it like, Hey, yep. You're going to work on that pitch in June when you're hmm. out in summer ball. Um, which maybe that's rude for the something they're trying to win out there too. But, um, but yeah, I think that's, that's one of the biggest things there. Cause finding that blend is, is really tough. Cause like I said, I, I think, I think a lot of guys know, they see what your Friday guy looks like. They see what your Saturday guy looks like. They know that that's the goal that they're aspiring to get to. Um, mm-hmm. And they're like, I don't have that. I don't have that quality third pitch. I don't have that velo yet. But now this, this three month segment from February to 
May or February through June, if you want to play and want to fit, I mean, you could go to a, a vacuum and just train, but what's that <laughs> telling you? They, you? Some of the stuff you're not, you're only going to learn when someone's in there swinging at your pitches and, and learning and, and using that then maybe as the, you know, the recipe to what you need to do going into that next season of how you're going to build up and what you're going to prioritize in your training. Mm, okay. So th- this brings me to a, another, th- you know, section of like, okay, I'm, I'm at this level, right. But I need, I want to, I want to develop. I want to turn into the guy. What is in your experience, like what has been the common factor or factors that you've seen in those players that have gone from, you know, like a good college player, right. Um, maybe they come in, like you, you have a uh, good expectations for them. Um, and then they reach those expectations. They become that future professional player where you're like, this guy's a dude. And he's like, for sure getting drafted. And like, you've also coached guys who have made the big leagues too. It's like, what's the, what's the separating factor there? Like, or what are the common factors among those guys who have separated themselves into that like elite tier of college baseball player? I think, I think being willing and learn from, from some adversity, from Hmm. getting, getting kicked in the, in the groin early in their fall, like, okay, this is what I got to do. And figuring out that, man, I, I need to stay hungry. I, my work ethic's got to match my my goals on that end. I know that's a cliche thing to say, hmm. but I've maybe had maybe one of those guys. I'm like, he just rolled out talent wise and was just continually just more talented than other guys. Hmm. But the common characteristic for all those dudes is they've had some level of elite work ethic, whether that's elite work ethic in the weight room. Like, great. We got to really good weight program that I'm proud of, but elite work ethic in there or an elite work ethic to keep evolving. Um, you know, we got a guy, Alec Jacob, who made his big league debut this summer um, with the Padres. He's, he's a fun one to watch. He's like 85 to 88. He's a side, you know, side armor, throws mm-hmm. wiffle balls. And you watch him watch on the big league field. You're like, that body type doesn't scream big leaguer, but he's been willing to constantly evolve of like, what makes me different? What allows me to get hitters out and to kind of think in a different scope? And so I think all those guys just seeing what works and doesn't work and then what's going to allow me to to fix that and to constantly evolve and to constantly give themselves a chance to keep growing. And I think um, the guys that start there, you know, maybe sometimes guys that have immediately like a moderate level of success early in their career, hmm. that can almost be a little bit scary because all of a sudden, not only them realize that, Hey, this is good for me, but also as a coaching staff, do we put limits on those guys then too of like, well, this is who they are. Cause no coach <laughs> doesn't love. And you can, does not love a dependable middle reliever. Like oh, this stuff's okay, but dang, I know what I'm getting every single time from him. So I can manage a baseball game. He's going to throw strikes. He's going to be able to throw a couple other pitches. He might get hit occasionally, but whatever, we got beat. And then the pro side, or you talk to pro scouts, like, well, when's Johnny going to throw who's 94 to 97 with a power breaking ball, but he's got strike throwing issues. I mean, what happens all the time in college baseball? Steady Eddie's getting in that game more consistent because you know that Steady Eddie is going to give you a higher percentage chances to win where mm-hmm. the other – guy that's going to be better long-term I mean honestly the better pro mm-hmm. is 
he's a wild card and man, that's a tough one. How do you, how do you take that guy? That's good. He's a good college pitcher and keep showing him ways to, to grow and to get better. Um, cause failure is a huge driver in that. Um, comfort can be like I said, and I don't put that just on the player. That's as a coaching staff too. Like, what can we do to keep pushing you forward right here? Like you don't have this major monumental roadblock telling you that you have to push it over. Cause we've, you know, we had a guy this year, seventh rounder through two innings as a freshman, he made a decision to like, I better get a lot better. I don't want to do that again. Like yeah, he did. He pushed himself and, and he, 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 cre- he carved out his own career in that regard, which was really special as a coach. Like, okay, that was, that was fun to watch, but hmm. how do we get that guy that was like, yeah, made 20 appearances as a freshman i like this role i'm good at it but now all of a sudden we put a cap on him and so mm-hmm. yeah i think that's our role as coaches man we got to find a way to to keep prodding them and keep going like hey that's good we're gonna keep that but we need to make a jump here what how can i create some level of adversity some level of doubt to get you to get to that that next phase that, that you're going to get to and you've dealt with like different kind of ways of guys um exemplifying that work ethic that constant work ethic of like i'm always getting better right like it comes in different ways right it's not the same exact thing where it's a repeat like it it's not a one-trick pony or like where it's like okay yeah that guy does this therefore he'll be a big leaguer right like it, there's a lot of different ways it shows up right oh yeah i mean everybody i'm sure you have a chip on your shoulder for something that you manufactured to some degree right like some of it might be real but some of it in your own you know you've created some of that. And I think each guy has that. I think the best guys that have been around, they have some level of like, I'm either going to prove it to myself or I'm going to prove someone else that this is why I need to, I'm justifying why I'm out here doing this and, and going. And I think, um, I think that's the beauty of it. And I've, I've tried to really learn as I've gotten further along in this of like, it's so unique to each guy to try to manufacture that as a coach or to try to put a limit, like, Oh, don't think that way. I don't know if that works because that the way I think is different than the way you think and the way each of my guys think. And I, if I can hopefully put them in a position to like embrace that within reason, right. You don't want to sure there's certain things that you're going to put a cap on a cap, but you're going to talk about because like that I've been around this long enough to see like that, that doesn't sustain, but this is a sustainable thing that you're doing. Like, yeah, go for it. If you want to think people are writing you off because you're five eleven instead of six, one go for it. Are you, <laughs> you're from Idaho and not California and that's going to make go for it. Like whatever that might be, um, you know, or you're at Gonzaga and not Oregon state. And that's, I'm going to prove, go for it. Like whatever that might be that you need to, to justify it. I think those are all things that as a coach, we need to give them a path to, to pursue that. That's so funny that you mentioned that too, like the little chip on your shoulder thing. Cause we've definitely seen those players where it's like, can you put that chip on? Like, can you find a chip? Go find a chip. Like, you clearly you don't have one. Like, we can kind of see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, we need that chip on your shoulder, you know? But th- then again, you're bringing up, like, the uh, the good college pitcher versus, like, the good future pro, like, in terms of, like, just the makeup, like, the the stuff or whatever it is. Like, that's that's kind of tough because, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of players, they might see the guy where it's like, he's not doing that well, but then he becomes the future pro and then, you know, as a high school, you're like, oh, well, all I got to do is like, you know, turn 94, 97 or whatever it is, like just get 
you know, just have that. And then like, I don't even have to have that good of a college career. And it's like, I mean, I guess, but like, don't you want to like perform well as well? (laughs) Like it all boils down to what experience you want to have. I mean, that's where that's the, that's the game right there. Right. How can we, how can we as coaches and programs put on a spot to try to, that we can have the best of both worlds that, yep, I'm going to develop you. We're going to go, but we're also, they're not mutually exclusive training and competing. Like how can we put those together where you're, yeah, you're, you're getting developed, but you're hopefully getting into games too. And actually like, you know, getting a reward for all that hard work you do that you're in a spot that you can pitch and and go, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that's a, I think that's one of the toughest dynamics because, and you even as a coach know, you're like, man, if I can just give him a little bit of experience here, he's got a chance to be really special. Right. But can I do that in a preseason game right here that to be quite honest for a place like Gonzaga, this might be really, you know, RPI wise, we got to win this series. Cause now all of a sudden we're putting ourselves in the spot. Like there's no, there's no spring training in college baseball. I think that's one of the hardest things for most incoming college kids to learn. Like mm-hmm. you can make an argument and I, I see it. Some of the SEC schools do a great job of like, they play some games where they're going to get everybody out there. They're going to see what they have because they know that they run the SEC gamut. RPI, like that's going to take care of itself. Put What's mm-hmm. going to put you in yourself in the best spot to win conference? Mm-hmm. And they're being, being great. For the majority of schools though, like it's a blend. Non-conference is just as important as conference play and, mm-hmm. and finding like, who's going to help us win today, um, which is limiting. I mean, that's, it's a byproduct that, that if we had three weeks to just play it out, I think that that would actually probably, that would obviously help that guy that's maybe high stuff and maybe not quite as polished yet. So. And it's funny how you guys kind of have to change your approach to that because of things like RPI and the way that that is set up or even like conference setups, like just how that is made. I mean, shoot, you guys have, uh, I think avoided the the whole um, what, what do you want to call it this summer like the the rodeo of conference re- reconstruction uh, that's been going on. I mean, as I just of a, the, as of eleven thirty today, we still we're still uh, haven't hit the realignment. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I I don't even know what, what it was yesterday, but I think Tulane was involved in it. It was like the Pac twelve and AAC like combo thing was going on. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Like this. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the newest thing that's happened, but it makes me think like, oh, wow, you guys really have to like, you have to coach in a certain way that like is curated toward those things, which it like, that is super difficult. I feel like there's got to be a better way to like, to kind of um, curate those factors into making it a lot easier for you guys to coach um, more so on like for the development piece for like the, okay, like. We don't have, it's not a always win now and not a, uh, like you're saying the shotgun wedding with, you know, transfer board guys, like one year uh, deal type of thing. Like, no, it should be kind of more promoting the development side of it. Right. And like building a legit team that is like more high school guys and not half portal Juco guys. Right. Like it's, it's, I don't know, I guess I'm kind of like thinking out loud here, but it seems like the direction that it's going, like they're kind of going against each other or, or like it's going in that direction where it's like, it's probably not even that great for the game in a way. Yeah. But I think on the other side, you might have some, some guys that buy into it right away that they understand like that being competitive and 
playing winning baseball early actually helps their development, helps them fast track once they get into minor league baseball at times. And okay, yeah, and gets them going. I think on that end, I I think the quicker some guys understand that, um, yeah, I think it helps them move faster and it makes maybe it maybe it puts a little bit of a ceiling on you know, takes maybe just a down, just a notch, but. I think getting out there and playing mm. and learning how to play the game is, I don't think that can be, you know, downgraded on that end. And I think, I mean, listen, I, I, I've seen a handful of high school kids that are good pro prospects that all of us are like, Hey, yeah, they should probably sign because it's high tools. Maybe a position player, like, yeah, he can put on his five o'clock BP is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he's going to get to college baseball and get completely exposed at least for a year now how quick can he make that adjustment? Is he in a program that's going to give him the opportunity to make that adjustment mm-hmm. as opposed to maybe he gets to go to pro ball in his first year. He gets, I shouldn't say get to, cause I know how people think about this, but he's, he's down at the complex for a whole year and he's, there's no expectation other than getting out there and getting experience and playing. If he strikes out two times a day, learning, right? Stakes are incredibly low. Yep, exactly. Where, you do that in the heart of a, you know, conference series. Coach might go to the junior who, yeah, he's not going to do do as much, but it's the same idea as that reliever, right? Like he's, we know mm-hmm. what we're going to get out of him. We know how what we can expect, and I think that's the give and take. But I think those guys that get into the program and they start to develop, but they also embrace the fact that man, I got to do X, Y, Z to get in games. Like these are what, this is what coach thinks is really important for me to go. I think there's a lot of positive out of that too. That you know moves them forward and allows them to get on that path to hopefully get to the big league someday. Yeah. College definitely does seem to set you up a lot better as opposed to the the kind of pro side where it's, it's like almost expected that you're, that you're going to fail. And they're like, yeah, go through your failure for a year to like, it's, it's going to happen. Like we're just, we're going to let you do it. And like, we're going to work at it, you know, but like we're, there's no, uh, there's no like sense of urgency when you're 18 or 19, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. that's fine. That's fine. But with college, it's like, no, no, no. Like, if you want to be a pro, now you're in your college. If you want to be a pro, you got to be really consistent and resilient. You know, like, you, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. Like, you got to have those. Like, yep. the, there's, there, there's a dire need for consistency. And, like, you, especially like you said, with the uh, bullpen uh, kind of arm, like, I feel like college baseball, every time you get to the tournament, it's like, okay, who's got, who's got the good bullpen? Who's got the bullpen that's hot? Like, I'm probably taking them as my my Omaha pick right here. Like that's <laughs> that's where like what it really comes down to. I mean, you know, maybe you got you got a couple starters that are going the distance and stuff, but it's like you need bullpen arms. You need consistent bullpen arms to like keep you in games. I mean, my gosh, like especially when, once you get to college, it's like all right, like if you can if you could show everything, <laughs> uh, or if you can show out every time, sorry, and show the same thing and be the same thing, it's like yeah like we need that you know like that's that is like you said that is like the steady eddie that is the guy like that we're going to take over over the who knows like if it's going to be 96 with with this and this or if it's going to be ah like who who knows like gonna gonna create an inning for you it's such a different game yeah oh yeah exactly it's it's just such a different game and i guess i don't know maybe there won't be like a time where like those kind of like come together and like mesh and are doing the same thing. Maybe, maybe that's okay. Maybe that's it. That's the way it's supposed to be. Um, but 
I don't know. I guess I'm just realizing now that it's like very, very different. But I think I think I think you're even seeing Pro Bowl change that a little bit too, right? With with condensing it down where you don't yeah. have short season A ball anymore. Like mm-hmm. I feel like and every organization is different, but I've heard a few orgs talk about like, yeah, they, they want their high A team to to win more games. They want their double A team. And you still have some orgs that are like, Yeah, I want our best guys to get reps. So they're ready to you know, go compete at the next level. I think every, you know, mm. philosophically it's, you know, unique to each spot. So. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure you've seen that change like through, like since the beginning of your coaching career, I mean, completely mm-hmm. right. Like that's gotta be one of the biggest differences you've seen. Um, oh, the draft shrinking from 40 to 20 is just yeah crazy. And maybe some guys not getting opportunity that you and you hate to say it like, hey, five years ago, yeah, you would have had your shot to get in there and go kick it around and maybe you run with it. And but now no, that's you either need to go chase some indie ball and try to do it that way, or you're yeah, it's that was that. So Yeah. And remind me, is um is the COVID thing still like coming into play with play? Are we still get seeing sixty years and stuff like that? Because I know you said the um, roster size is still like forty, right? Yeah, so you're it's a hard cap at 40 now because the last two years it was they gave you a number and then there, there was last year you had 35 plus five COVID exemptions. So guys that would have been gone if it wasn't for COVID. Um, oh, okay. Like, right. So like a fifth year, he's a fifth year because of COVID. Um, sure. I think you might have a couple guys now on each roster that are around. I don't think we do, but I know exactly like a couple players that a, a, an opponent of ours, like, yep, 60 year going in like they're going to go do it but it's a hard cap at 40 now regardless of okay COVID or not so i think you're starting to phase out because there was 2021 which we as a program directly benefited from we probably had at least three guys that if it would have been normal draft in 20 or like they're gone they're out the door Mm -hmm. um they were all back on that 21 team and yeah we were old and deep and yeah yeah Maybe having 23-year-old hitters is pretty big advantage over having 19-year-olds. Like, very it's, hot. Like, it's a real thing. It's ridiculous. But it, but it's going to go back down. I mean, it's going to get younger again. Yeah. And, like, that is probably how it should be. You know. Well, yeah, but then again, you have the portal in the – yeah, in JUCO. So, it's like, I don't know. Like I, I think, though, you're going to see some schools that there's going to be a trickle-down effect. Like, if everybody's going all in to get – be old all the time that there's going to be some younger guys that get squeezed that are going to end up at programs. Now, do they stay at that program at times to get old? That's the question, right? Like, or did they mm-hmm. bounce after a year or two? But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I could think of some specific examples just along the West coast. You'd be like, man, you're a really good player. You ended up there, which maybe didn't add up. And well, now you're not there anymore, which is really unfortunate that, the, you know, but I think, that'll all play itself out. I think you're in the next few years. I hope that like junior college can get like a revival from this too. Like players can start to see like, okay, because this is what I did. It's like, okay, you know, you get bounced from your D1, go junior college, get some, get a lot of playing time, get that opportunity. And if you play really well, you're going to turn into like the hot commodity um, that is like essentially a transfer portal guy that had a good year before. Like it's the same idea, you know, because like, that's you that's what you guys need you guys need guys who have shown that they can perform at the college level like that is just 
you know, and it's an essential thing. And that's what guys are looking for now in the transfer portal. But I feel like with what the transfer portal currently is, is not only is it what the thousands, are we in the thousands? Got to be. It's like 2,700. Yeah, exactly. And how many of those 2,700 had like quote unquote great or good college seasons, like very productive college seasons. You saw them all, you saw every single one of them probably get tweeted, you know, by uh, when they committed to another school because they were all conference this or whatever. It's like, you saw that, but you add up all those tweets, it's gotta be 1% of all the guys in the portal. I mean, it's not many. And those are the ones I think kind of kick out. I mean, if you break down that portal to what's, those are, yeah, those are a small percentage. And those are the, yeah, those are the ones to me. I'm like, okay, those, if you're on the wrong end of it, that stinks, but you're like, okay, that one makes sense. They're going, they're going to greener pastures. But then what's the percentage yeah. of guys that are like, you think you're going to greener pastures, but the pasture is the exact same. Like, and then you have a handful that like, you're in the, you're in the portal and you're not going to land anywhere. Like you're, yeah. And that that's, you know, that's where that JC route comes in. Cause there's still a, still a path. You go and produce, you go bet on yourself. You will be found at the Juco route. Cause it's, and, and coaches love that. And then you talk about having a little bit of a chip and you talk about a self-made player. Um, I think there's a lot of that there of getting those guys in, they're going to go in and, and fight. And they, they, they're not scared of competition. But I, I do believe that like JC guys like, yeah, I'm not giving anything. Like we're going to go out and do the deal here. So. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. I, I will always praise junior college for giving me that sort of uh, that lesson of, of like, yeah, it, it doesn't matter. Like it's do or die here, you know, like we're here to do, you know, like this is, yeah. this is what we're here to do. Like we're, we're doing the thing. Come on. Like, let's get on it. You, um, you, you fly the Juco bandit uh, flag proudly. <laughs> it, see, cause when I got there, it was like, Oh, he's bounced back from four years. It's like, okay. He's kind of, kind of Juco guy. Like you're kind of a bandit, you know, like those two year Juco guy, even three year Juco guy, like those guys, they're like, yeah. okay, like you're, you're kind of in it. You're not all the way, but you're, you're part of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Being a California yeah. Juco guy too. It's funny. Like when people ask like, Oh, what Juco did you go to? And I'd say a California Juco, they're like, oh, okay. All right. You know, we know it was probably a nice time out there. Like we get it. Yeah, it was probably, probably a fun time out in California. I'm like, you were eh. in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. So. I mean, yeah, admit, I went to Santa Barbara city college. So it's like, yeah. Okay. I, I get it. Yeah. Santa Barbara, but yeah, playing with a bunch of teammates um, and like guys also like in the Cubs org, like that are Juco guys, like, yeah, like you can tell, like the, it's just there <laughs> that shit. Yeah. It's there. Like it's, it's yeah. Like you said, it's just like something you guys are looking for all the time, but um, I don't know. Another thing about the transfer portal too. I feel like when a player asks to be like put in the transfer or is like, Hey, I'm going to put my name in. It's like, you're kind of, you're kind of severing ties a little bit in a way, right? Like it's kind of hard to like come back from that and, and like expect some trust or whatever. It's like, like how, how much, I can't put that much stock in you, you know, after you wanted to do that, after you said like, no, I want to leave here, you know, yeah. I'm, I want to go see what's out there and like leave. It's like, especially after a freshman year, I would imagine. Right. Cause it's like, yeah. look, okay. I think, I think each program is different on that. I mean, I, I know for us, like, yeah, if, if you're jumping in, like that's, that's our shaking hands and we're going to part ways just cause that's, yeah. And I know there's some, and I, I, we haven't got to that point where there's, they're in, Hey, we'll let you go test the waters, but 
you can come back and I, I don't know, that would be a hard one for me just as a, because uh, it's relationship based. I'd almost be like, yeah, it'd be like telling your wife, like, yeah, you can go down, you can go out this Friday, Saturday. And if you, you know, <laughs> if you upgrade, okay, great. And if, if you don't, I'll see you Monday. Like, I don't know. I yeah, teach their yeah. own on that one, but um, yeah. I don't know. I don't Yeah. For me, I'm on, I'm on that kind of side where I'm like, doesn't really put a good like feeling, you know, no. about like, I don't have a good feeling about that anymore, but there's got to be tons of players, right? You said 2,700. It's got to be tons that are putting their name in going right back to school, right? Got I think there's a handful. You know, I, there's probably some unique circumstances where maybe a player asks, like, hey, coach, if I have one school and if it works, great. If not, and that would obviously take a pretty high level of trust and relationship of, like, understanding your athlete. But, yeah, um, yeah, like I said, for us, I mean, it's a – if you're in, like, okay, wish you the best of luck. and But, yeah, we're going to – we're gonna go find someone that wants to be here. I mean, that's just the nature of the nature of the beast. So it's just funny too because of how new it is. And I'm thinking like back when I was doing it, like leaving Santa Clara, even though I kind of knew I was leaving, um, I probably would have put my name in the transfer portal just to go to another D1, even though it's not what I needed. That's not like yep. what was best for me, you know, because I feel like most of these guys that are entering in the transfer portal, the most important thing is getting the playing opportunity. It's like, what's the point of like moving laterally if you're gonna like probably not gain any playing opportunity whereas you could uh, i know people that say like juco's below it's like yeah sure but uh, like we're talking about like you kind of got to go below to to go I, back up i think if you i think if you could get on your pedestal on your platform and preach that i think that's the biggest thing like your flaws don't necessarily change right like sometimes a change of scenery everybody there's gonna be guys that benefit from that but if you have a deficiency like you need to find it and get back, it gets back to what we are talking about development. Like you need to find a, an avenue to go address that deficiency. Like, and if you're a young right-handed hitter and you can't handle right-handed sliders at this level, does that automatically just go get better by getting, you know, limited at bats at a different spot? Like that's the, but you go to a Juco and you get to play a heck of a lot more in the fall, right? There's no limitations. Like there's no rules at Juco. You just go play. <laughs> Yeah. And you, you know, you go log your 200 at bats in the spring. Now all of a sudden you've maybe addressed that deficiency and now you're going to be more prepared and ready to go do that. Now I understand that, you know, that development can happen in a fall or a change of scenery that happens. But I think, I think what you're saying though is what's needed versus what you want on that one is probably conflicting at times. Like, yeah, all of a sudden you just don't just a new color hat, new color Jersey doesn't necessarily change what you can and can't do you gotta you gotta tangibly get in there and and fix it so yeah i feel like more times than not that is the case and there are the few we should acknowledge where the change of scenery is pretty important you know like maybe going closer to home or yeah just a, a style yeah. change with the coaches sure like that can definitely impact things as well 100 percent. yeah but we are but we are kind of talking about in general here like getting 200 at bats better in a spring is, is probably going to help you a little bit more, you know, uh, at least sounds like you and I agree on that, on that side of it. And, I, and like back yeah. when I was playing, sorry, back when I was playing, it was like, okay, I don't know if this is still a thing, but I know this, this happened. Uh, it was like, okay, I'm at, uh, I'll just say Santa Clara. Cause that's where I was for sure. Um, there would be the option of like, okay, you know, your the opportunity is not there right now go to junior college and then we'll be interested. Like, you know, if you develop, like 
you can come back, you know? Like, was that a thing like when you, because you played against Zaga too, right? Um, yep. Yeah, I, I think, I think that's case by case, but I think schools, I can think of a couple just off the top of my head and I won't say who it is, but mm. they 100% use that relationship to, hey, you're not quite ready to do it here, but like, we're not, we're just, we're really looking at you long-term here. Like if you go do that, go get better. You're going to put yourself in a spot to, come back and be ready to compete like it's no it's not a personal thing it's not hard issues it's strictly being honest i think mm. if both sides can handle that you know the right way i think where people get in trouble now and at least with the portal now there's an option for everybody to there's a different option right which i think changes that landscape to some degree but mm. yeah i don't think there's anything wrong like if that's the school you want to be at and you're not quite ready to do it or i mean what if you're a catcher that you're roadblocked by a guy who's a class ahead of you like hey you got a chance like it's like being a quarterback like mm. certain time you gotta go do it and go play like yeah yeah I, I that's a great scenario especially if, if both sides want to keep it going i think so yeah and i'm just thinking about it financially too like saving money on that juco year mm. right like you're, you're you're saving money i mean that yeah, yeah when, when i uh got the bill for my classes at santa barbara city i'm like you're kidding right yeah. Why didn't I go to junior college the first two years? Like, it's, oh my God, I was shocked. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, especially with the way tuitions are these days. I mean, come on. Your degree still says where you, where you graduate from. Doesn't say anything about that paper still the same. That's what I'm saying. That is, that is exactly what I'm saying right there. <sighs> okay. I want to dive into you now. I want to, because, uh, you know, mentioned that you played at Gonzaga. What years did you yeah. play at Gonzaga again? I was here 05 to 08. So. 05 to 08. Okay. And, you know, I did just see this on Twitter. You might have retweeted it or something, but I would imagine the facilities look pretty different now. And I know you guys got something like cooking right now with what yep. you guys, you know, today, yep. right? What does so, that look like? So I've got to see the whole evolution. My first two years on campus, they were building a new stadium. So we played at the mm -hmm. Pro Park, um, which is now the Rangers single A, my first two years, which sounds awesome from the outside, but you're commuting, I don't know, it was only 10 minutes, but just getting off campus and it's bigger than... They opened brand new park in 2007, which was my junior year. Um, got to mm -hmm. throw in the first game there, and it's a beautiful facility. Um, but it makes me feel old now, like we're, you know, 15, 16 years out from that. So we um, did some renovations here this last year. Went, made the transition from natural to we went full turf, new padded outfield wall, and then we're literally, this, you know, we've been pumping this out pretty good. But there, we broke ground last month on a new like 12 million dollar indoor facility that will be connected to our indoor to our to our clubhouse right there along the you know at the stadium it's a it's a game changer for us and you know yeah. before our indoor facility was a little bit removed and um we we're in different spots i mean this will be all self-contained and it's uh for development and recruiting it's you know it's baseball only we're very very excited about it so and uh yeah it rains a little bit up there right so i mean that's uh <laughs> that's yeah, yeah probably I mean, why we you know we don't get as much rain as maybe the west side of the state but we get we get all four seasons here i'm not we're not yeah we're not bashful about that we we get a little bit of snow um we get a little rain in the spring so yeah having an indoor indoor and to be able to nullify that weather is uh is what that indoor is going to do for sure and it's so funny too because i i went from you know junior college in santa barbara where it's like you're doing all your own field work to to lane in new orleans and it's all turf field the amount of time that we didn't spend on the upkeep of the field, 
I mean, it allowed us to do so many other things and not spend so much time on on that, which I, that's also a game changer. I think maybe some of our former players um, might dis- disagree with me on this or, or challenge me, but hmm. you know, we had two full-time groundskeepers. They did the majority of the work, but the worst text you could send out as a coach was at 10 a.m., hey, we got to put that tarp on or off. <laughs> yeah. Like, I know you only have yeah. 10 minutes here, but we got to go put that on. Like, hmm. that was the worst. And now with turf, it's just like, look at that that practice window and that's all we got to worry about so yeah oh man i'm i'm already having a little flashbacks of like it would be like 7 a.m too it'd be after a lift where it's like yep put the tarp on (laughs) throw the tarp on you're like we we had we had times where it was get home from a road trip hey it's supposed to rain tomorrow let's actually put the tarp on so we're good for uh coach it's it's 1130 at night. Yeah. We'll put the lights on we'll just real quick. We'll just do it together. And they're like, Oh, we, you're going to be standing there watching me put this on. Oh my oh. gosh. <laughs> but you kind of have to, you kind of have to do anything you can to like preserve a little bit of time or playing games, especially during season. Yeah. I mean, Oh my gosh. Like during season, like yep. it's, it's just like yep. whatever we can do now, like get it done. Like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. The season, the season's kind of interesting. I actually, I, I feel like I, I kind of want to ask a little bit about the season though. Cause I feel like that is something a lot of players, like they don't really learn a whole lot until they like do it, but there's gotta be something where you've, ex- you've seen in some players who are like, okay, yeah, this guy knows how to handle like the full length of a season uh, or at least oh. maybe in your playing career where you're like, okay, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I probably advise players, you know, to do this or if a player needs this, like, I'm probably going to, show them the ropes a little bit here, um, you know, in terms of like just helping a player get through a season. I mean, is there anything like that oh, with that? We spend so much time talking about time management and, you know, educating them, them on the resources they have. Not only, I mean, you talk about just getting through it as a player, right? Like balancing mm. travel, you know, fly, flying sounds great. Right. Until you're like, well, yeah, you were in an airport for five hours and you jumped a time zone. Like, how do you balance that out? Which isn't easy. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then like, they're still taking a full class load, um, you know, maximizing their time. So yeah, we spend a ton of time on that to help them navigate that. And you know, the older guys, they start to figure it out. They know their deal, but young kids, Mm. they just see, Oh, I get to go to, you know, early in the year, I get to go to TCU today. Well, yeah, you do. But on this two hour break, you know, when we're in Denver, you should probably get your laptop out and knock out one of your papers. So when we're down there, you actually get to go experience, you know, being on the road and you're not feeling like, Oh, I should stick it out in the hotel for, that's not what it's about either, but really Mm -hmm. just trying to be really intentional with your time management. And then obviously as a player, nutrition and your strength, all that stuff. And we can help obviously navigate that, but yeah, Mm -hmm. we spend a lot of, a lot of time trying to help make that a non-issue. So. Yeah. I can think of the times where I ran into trouble and it was always, coming back from road trips, still got some due at midnight or, you know, the next yeah. morning, it's like, okay, like, why did I do this to myself and make myself stay up till one in the morning, like finishing a paper or whatever. It's like, you know, you could have done something. Why did I watch SportsCenter on rerun for five times in the hotel room? Like, yeah, yeah. Like that. Yeah. That's actually, that's fantastic advice. And I think about it. It's like, yeah, you got, you got an assignment. Like you should make it your priority. Like whenever you're not at the field doing something, it should be, you know, your job. It should feel like you're getting paid to yeah. finish that paper 
And as soon as you finish, like the sooner the better, like, yep. honestly. Uh, okay, now I'm actually gonna ask about you. Um, yeah, because we've actually been at this for a while, by the way. If you if you haven't looked at the time at all, I'm like, whoa, we've been we going, that's good, powering through this. Okay, um, I asked every coach this because um, I think it's cool. I hear a lot of different answers. Did you always want to be a coach? And if so, like when did you? Or actually, maybe maybe you didn't. But when did you know you wanted to get into coaching too? Yeah, I, I would say I would answer yes. Um, okay. And I think high school, very influential high school coach that I was, I still, you know, we have lunch once a month together, just like an important figure in my life that, um, just, yeah, li- liked it a lot. And then once I got to college and saw the level of impact you could have as a college coach and also like the many different hats you get to wear, right? You get to pick your own players, you get to, there's some hats that I think I would have liked to have known that you wouldn't want to wear. Right. There's some things that aren't as glamorous, but mm-hmm. um, I think seeing all that stuff. Yeah. I knew once my playing career was over that I wanted to jump in and I, you know, I followed through on that. Right. When I finished up playing, I, I was banging on the door trying to, what can I do to get in and, mm. and to get going. And so um, I've known all along that that's the path I wanted to take. And um, yeah, it's been really rewarding. And I know you were at Whitworth before yeah. Gonzaga, right? Was that your yep. first and only stop before Gonzaga? Or were you other yep. places too? Yeah. So that was, I, I coached a summer, two summers in collegiate baseball. I did the Alaska league for a summer and then I did the Northwoods mm-hmm. league. Um, and then I had a chance to, yeah, Whitworth, the division three here in the area and um, got to jump in. And honestly, that was, we, we've been talking about development for players and actually getting out there and playing right to develop. Mm-hmm. coaching wise that was a such an impactful two years for me I got to one I had to throw BP every day um worked with the pitchers which is obviously my you know the foundation of, of what I do as a coach but recruiting actually the second year got to coach third base and run the offense like I look mm-hmm. at it now like maybe it was running around like a chicken with my head cut off a little bit but got to be in so many different scenarios and to learn um and then they put the cherry on top on that. The second year I was there, we had an amazing group of kids and they they were playing with not a care in the world. And they made a big run. They got to go to the Division Three World Series. And it was fun mm. to just kind of see them. They were the underdogs that just went out and like, hey, yeah, we're not supposed to be here, but we're here, which was, yeah. yeah it was, I look back on those two years with, um, yeah, just loved my experience. And then, you know, then I got a chance to go come back to Gonzaga and I was our volunteer for three years, which, um, wasn't you know directly responsible for the pitchers so you know coaching the base helping out with hitters working with the catchers I think all that stuff just kind of built into really positive experience for me can you talk a little bit about like Northwoods League and Alaska League because uh I've heard experiences from both Um, Mm -hmm. my brother played in Northwoods and I've had friends who played in the Alaska League as well well in Northwoods but what was that like actually I'm now I'm curious uh because I've heard about the both these leagues yeah um man the alaska league was i'm kind of an outdoorsman so that part Mm -hmm. was all i love that part it's a little bit more old school right where it's just old school like it feels Mm -hmm. like you're 10 or 15 years behind maybe some of the advancements um not only just being up in like i was in fairbanks so that felt a little bit older Mm -hmm. but that also just the league itself facilities aren't as good but i really enjoyed that the northwoods league is a different animal I loved it. The crowds you're playing in front of are great. You attracted good levels of players. Um, 
I was our pitching guy and I didn't have any, any direct um, responsibility for like acquiring players though. Like mm-hmm. I just would, you know, feed names. I mean, literally our head coach that summer, he spent all of July and August during pregame on the phone. Cause he knew the cycle and turnover of players of like, Hey, I got this guy leaving here in a week. Who do you have available? And like finding players in July, obviously isn't easy. So that, that part was the only spot that I'm like, by the end of the summer, I, I would like to know what the average Northwoods league like roster is, but I think you, you probably turn close to 40, 40 to 45 players. Well, it's a constant turnover Jeez. and making sure, <clears throat> make sure you're keeping guys around. Cause there's nothing worse as a pitching guy than feeling like, do we have enough bodies to cover these next three days of innings? Right. Like that's, yeah, that's not a good spot to be. So mm. yeah, I was in, I loved it. I was in green Bay. Packers were around. I mean, it was, you know, it's good. So, um, do you, do you have an idea of what you'd be doing if you weren't coaching? Uh, people ask me like, what have you got out of coaching? What would you do? I, I don't know. Something, something along being, probably a teacher or something, something with being interacting with people every day and hmm. or some kind of sales traveling sales position. I don't know. Um, hmm. Coaching's what I, what I like though. I don't, I like being in the office for, you know, three or four hours every morning, but then being able to get out and, and be with our guys and, and do that deal. And, you know, traveling's a cool component of it. Now that's evolved over the years just because you know, I, have a, I have a family now. And so the more days on the road is obviously harder. Like, when it's just you, it's, it's really easy to, well, it doesn't matter where you stay, but being away from family, <laughs> that, that part's tough, but um, yeah, I don't know. The, the coaching, it's in my, it's in my blood here. I'm, I'm mm. I don't see myself getting out of it anytime soon. So. Uh, do you have any advice for your younger self that you would give in terms of coaching and helping your younger self along the way? Hmm. I think just being present too. I think maybe that's early times in my career, maybe more so when I was the volunteer of putting like a timeline on, hey, you got to do this by this time. I mean, you, you got to do this. And if you haven't got to this level, because it's easy for all of us to look around and you see a guy that's a similar age as you, that's they're already running their own pitching staff or they're a head coach, you know, hmm. even now that, that guy's a head coach at this point. And I think um, the one thing I really have learned, like all that stuff is so circumstantial. Like there's only there's not just an infinite amount of jobs in the country. There's not an infinite amount of jobs just in certain regions. Like Mm. there's gotta be some kind of movement and you just got to kind of lean into where you're at. And if you work hard that, you know, usually you get rewarded for, for what you're doing. I think that'd be the biggest thing. Cause I know early in my career, there was some frustrations of like, well, I haven't done yet this yet. I haven't done that. And it's like, wasn't necessarily doing anything wrong. I just, the opportunity's gotta be there and you gotta be ready to, I think that's the biggest thing I tell guys are trying to get in the, the, the business like put yourself in a position when the opportunity is there that you're that you're available because mm. if you put this timeline on it yeah you might be out of it after two years because nothing moved in front of you right like you got to be committed to this is where you want to be and what you want to do i say it all the time comparisons the thief of joy i mean that's like oh. i think about that all the time i'm because i you know i've definitely fallen into that trap of like okay, I look around and I'm like, where am I compared to this guy? Yeah, I do the same thing. And I'm just Especially like, with social media, right? You're like, you can oh, go down God. that rabbit hole and it's like, who really cares? Like, is your family happy? Are your friends happy? Like, other than that, like, take that other stuff away and, and just lean into where you're at and, and do the best you can at it. Yeah, I think a fun exercise for that actually for like young players is to like 
doing do like a social media cleanse like get off social media for like a week and then mm. um you know you might have a friend or two who will be like oh did you see my snapchat or my d like my instagram dm for your f- close friends that you talk to all the time sure other than that like no one is asking like where you were like you know what happened or like you're not going to feel out of the loop or anything like that you know it's like yeah. oh you realize like you didn't really need this all along that much like oh it's you still wake up that you know after a week and you're like oh i'm the same yeah i, I feel fine i still you know that that picture i was going to post i could still just text that to my buddies if it was important enough to you know whatever it might be so right yeah exactly um okay now i want to ask about gonzaga uh specifically is there something um about gonzaga um the school uh in particular that you really like about it that most people don't know about? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, I mean, Gonzaga's got a, a brand a little bit, right? Where the Zags and you, our hoops mm. team is unbelievable. So, I mean, it, it's kind of fun going across the country and you, hey, go Zags, like mm. it's unique, but w- what is Gonzaga? And, you know, we're a small private school in Eastern Washington, like kind of a, on our own little outpost. And I think the biggest thing that Gonzaga is, it's, I mean, literally is it's very people driven. You have a lot of people, um in our athletic department that have been here like once they get here they don't they don't leave and it's they're attracted Mm. to it I mean our coaching staff our head coach has been here almost this is between year 21 as the head guy and you know 32 years overall um I'm going into like my 12th year overall here I think there's just a connection I think that's the biggest thing it's it's very relationship very people driven and um you know athletics and college athletics as a whole are very nomadic right you go from spot to spot and Hmm. trying to stop and that's not to say we don't have people that there's nothing wrong with that but i think gonzaga really is a spot that's you got a lot of people here that are really invested in the university and in our programs which is is really unique i think the two guys that i live with uh who were former players of yours uh obsessed with gonzaga basketball i mean frighteningly obsessed and when i saw it, i was like okay they must have really loved their time at gonzaga they must have been really <laughs> committed to Gonzaga as a school like that's I think that's pretty special um so yeah it's I I've seen that firsthand I think that's really cool um now what about the program uh the baseball program specifically uh in the same regard you know something that you like about it that maybe uh the the common college baseball fan might not know a ton about Hmm. I think the big the big thing there I'm going to talk about it being a private school and it's you know tracks a Mm. I don't know you'd think a certain demographic kid, but I, I think the one thing we talk about developing a chip as a, as an individual player, I think as a program, we try to have a little bit of a chip of like, Hey, yeah, it, it's cold here. It's private. Um, we're not in the pac 12 yet. I don't, I don't know, like whatever the pac 12 is now, but <laughs> yeah. What time is it? Again? Yeah. I, I think all of that stuff is are things that as a whole, like we, we use that as motivators and that we have a little bit of uh let us show you what we can actually do. Like, you want to put this artificial cap on us and um, we think you can have it all here, a great education, but we also think you can, can really win and, and develop at a high level. And, um, you know, this last spring wasn't, wasn't a good year for us, but I think if you look at the last mm. 10 years as a whole, like, yeah, that's playing out a little bit of, of developing guys and winning games. And so I think that's the biggest thing that we, we do. I really try to lean into like a, having a blue collar chip of like mm. about showing up here and working and, um, you know, maybe the stuff's not quite as fancy as other places, but everything you need is, is here. So. Hmm. It's funny. When I was coming into Santa Clara, I do remember thinking like, 
okay, who's uh, who's the top dog in this conference? Like who, when I, when I play, I'm like, who, who's going to be the guys. And yeah, it was you guys. And I'm like, all right. Yeah, here we go. We've had some, we've had some good players. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. There's no doubt about that. Uh, okay. Last question. And I hope you're ready for it. You know, the, yep. the, the recruiting, the recruiting question. Um, yep. And I've asked this a bunch, so, you know, common listeners will know this, but yeah, if, if there's like a common or not a common, a uh, memorable a recruiting visit that you've had uh, that is kind of highlighted, illustrated sort of like what your job is, uh, just, you know, again, it could be a funny thing. It could be scary, anything you want. Like if there's a little story you have on that, like, I'd love yep. to hear something about that. All right. The, the one I got here, um, mm-hmm. the last time I did one of these events, but it was, I went to a show ball event, which is kind of a collection of players from all like I think they pay to go to this event and then the, that event brings in college coaches right and it's a little bit of a hodgepodge of who's going to show up and mm-hmm. made a note on a kid liked the way through the ball from the outfield um and then kid from Alaska right big kid from Alaska they do a bullpen workout at the end of that day and there's we're at Chapman University two mounds mm-hmm. going and they you know they have two field screens behind so there's two mounds going there's probably 30 coaches back there the mound which is on my right looking there's about a mm-hmm. I don't know an eight inch gap between the field screen and the fence it's like a chain link fence I don't know who was throwing on the right but they had to miss by at least four feet because it somehow had to hit the fence sneak through this little gap well sure enough it sneaks through that gap nobody really knows because you're watching too and it ricochets and punches me right in the face like just boom i go down and everybody's looking over like why sasquatch rolling around on the ground like and i'm not like rolling but i'm like i was surprised i mean luckily it hits me square here no no nose no eye no teeth but i'm like kind of the joke among coaches you get hit with the foul ball you get hit like you get to go home for the day i'm like (laughs) bloody lip just sitting here like all right whatever feeling a little bit embarrassed a little bit bad for myself well I show up the next day, this kid that I made a note on, he ends up throwing, they throw twice on that day, which is crazy, but throws twice, we end up liking him. Um, kid ends up being a guy named Brody Jesse, who ended up touching 100 miles an hour for us in, in 2022, drafted by the Reds, um, just middle, you know, he's from Anchorage, no recruiting, but it was kind of a fun story that I got to tell him, we ended up getting him up there, I'm like, hey man, I, I took a punch to the face for you. Um but yeah, that was kind of a fun one to circumstantially to, to work out. But yeah, that was, you know, I said it was my last event of those I went to. I should probably go back since, you know, we got a draft pick out of the deal. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah as a, that, that was kind of my my fun one. I mean, we, I, I, I have just as many as everybody else in terms of finding a guy that nobody liked and missing mm-hmm. on guys that, I mean, definitely missing on some guys that you're, you, you should have liked. But um, that's kind of my unique one of like, all right. It's not always just rainbows and butterflies out there. It's combat. So <laughs> it's combat. Yes. That's so fun. <sighs> yeah. I, 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 after going to a couple of showcases and then also watching people a few showcases, I didn't even realize how many times, like there'd just be errant balls just going over the place. Like got hmm. just people getting hit. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh. Like how often does this happen? Like <laughs> you need to protect no. everybody. Jeez. Like, especially at a big, you, hit, you just go like home to deal. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, and I've heard some other coaches talking about uh, the players that they miss and stuff like that too. I think that's, that's another thing like people kind of forget about is like, mm. like 
yeah, maybe it's just not your time yet. Maybe the if the coach isn't interested in you now, like maybe in a couple of years, you never know. Like who knows? You might grow yeah. three inches and forty pounds. Like who knows? Yep. Right. Oh, that's yep. that's have good. Chip though. on the shoulder because you came and watched them and you didn't like them. So. <sighs> yeah. Exactly. Honestly, yeah. Hey, kids out there, like just the slightest bit of it. Like if so and so doesn't, you know, is interested in you and you you know you're not good enough yet, doesn't matter. Just throw the chip on carry your shoulder. that mountain right on your shoulder. Literally. Literally. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay, that's everything I have for you, but that was awesome. Um, I'll just say thank you for hopping on. Like, that was great. Um, I had a good time. I mean, shoot, I hope the listeners had a good time because I feel like you, you, you gave us a lot of good stuff. So I appreciate the opportunity and always love to talk about the Zags. So <laughs> there we go. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm going to talk to you real briefly after we sign off here. Uh, but that is going to do it for this week's episode of Player to Prospect. And we'll see you next week.